Jake, are we rolling right now? Yeah, it's we been rolling. Well, we can cut in at any okay. time. But um, I just wanted to get your thought on podcast because it's an interesting medium and it's becoming more and more like people it's can. A, it's a very it's a very digestible form of media because you got I got friends and family who listen to it when they work out. I got people like myself who do say perhaps a lot of traveling you can download it and listen to it when you travel yep. you got other forms of podcasts that you can listen to on the road in the car working out on your way to work in the gym and it runs in, the in an afternoon exercise at yoga yep. like it's and so there's comedy there's educational there's you know every different type of genre yeah like yeah. history and you can you kind of get a pass when you're like oh what are you what are you wasting time with on your phone it could be something as meaningless content wise as a sitcom or a time passer but saying that it's a podcast gives you this kind of like i'm listening to podcasts yeah. it's like oh he's learning something yeah that's it but a lot of times that's not the case hopefully we can make that at least half the case on I, this yeah. particular episode yeah <laughs> so we yeah let's we'll, we'll uh we'll sort of tread the line of educational and yeah. uh and something very jovial and fun. That's what I do with my life. That's good. Um, <laughs> I, think that, do, yeah, I think that's why we get along. <laughs> um, all right, so yeah, you're, you're from Perth, Australia. Geographically, that is on the which coast? We're on the southwest coast of Australia. Southwest In the beautiful coast. state of very, um, very creatively named Western Australia. Oh, yeah. They got and I'm on the south there. coast, yep. So southwest coast, little city called Perth. Um, actually, the most isolated city in the world. That's so what if I was going to draw, we... yeah, if you're going to draw a line or a, a lineal distance between Perth and the next capital city, mm-hmm. is the greatest distance of any two capital cities in the world. Really? Yeah. So uh, I think any two, like because Perth, so the capital of Australia is Canberra, but Perth, Perth Canberra, is the capital. Yeah. Of so capital of the state. So okay, Perth gotcha. is the capital of Western Australia. So any capital city, uh-huh. I don't ne- doesn't necessarily uh, have to okay. be the capital yep. of, of that country. Yep. Gotcha. But any capital city outside of Perth is the greatest city distance um, of any two cities in the world. And is it, uh, does it have a dense urban center or is it like a rural type of city? Yeah, no, absolutely. Got a, got a, a pretty um, fully functional CBD, Central Bureau District, Central Business District, I should say, um, downtown. Yep. So and Perth's sort of unique in Australia in, in that way too. You know, uh, uh-huh. the whole civilization is built around the coast um, in the middle of Australia. Very uh-huh. desolate, uh, very sparse, not, not, a, not a whole lot going on. So... Perth is kind of unique in that the city sort of built around the river. The river flows into the ocean. A lot of people live down by the beach in the uh-huh. in, in ocean communities, and, and a lot is of people been working by the city. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, yep. So first 21 years of my life, born and bred in Perth, never lived more than 100 meters from the beach. Yeah, I'm. I'm um, I so grew for, up in the beach. So for my well. yeah, so for my American viewership, 100 meters. We're looking at roughly around 100 yards. So. <laughs> For those that needed yeah. that. Um, well, yeah, because I know I've, in doing some research and in knowing you, I know that you're fond of the ocean and you lifeguarded, right? Growing yeah, up. yep, yep, yep. Been and a part was, of a lifeguard. Uh, I worked as a lifeguard for now over 12 years. I want to say work, it's it's uh, very voluntary, uh-huh. but there's a whole other sport that encompasses the beach. Uh, we call it surf life saving at home. Mm-hmm. And you have. Uh, open water events and beach events, uh, ski paddling, board paddling, swimming, what I used to do, which is surf boat rowing, um, and then you have some motorsports too, and then you have beach sprints, flags, which is a variation of beach running, mm-hmm. um, and then a few other events that it sort of encompass so all. beach flags. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's where you're down, then you run, you grab the... That's it, yeah. yeah it's it's that literally that a sawn-off piece of hose. Yeah. Um, so it's a fun, yeah, there's a whole, great, like said, great there's a whole sport. culture around, like, lifeguarding oh, and yeah. ocean sports and that Yeah, way. so we get together every year, and they have the, um, the national championships, Australian Surf Life Saving Championships. They have more competitors at that every year than they do um, at the entire Commonwealth Games. Really? So it is a huge event. There is mm-hmm. huge amounts of participation all across the country. And now we're starting to start a bridge. We've got people coming in from New Zealand, South America, South Africa, uh, quite large. A lot of these dance sort of countries that have uh, you know, huge amounts of coastline, uh-huh. these sort of events and, and, um, and athletic sort of entrepreneurs, I suppose they could be called, um, are sort of starting to pop up all across the globe now. And I think that's sort of forefronted by um, Australia and, and what mm-hmm. they're doing in Surf Life Saving. And, the importance of having you know safe beaches and, and um, people that can you know um, maintain these beaches, look after these yep. beaches, be concerned for tourists, which is a huge part of our culture, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of stemmed over now into an, an athletic culture too, and yeah. making a sport about it. And that's uh-huh. been you know this all sort of like the surf boat rowing. Um, let me scratch right there. Like essentially, what it is, we have a sweep standing at the back of the boat. So a guy standing up, he looks out towards the way the boat's going. And he has a long oar that stems out the back and he sort of directs the, the boat. The rudder. And then there's four guys that sit in the boat and row. Now they have their back to whichever way you're going, mm-hmm. back to the surf, back to the beach, depending on which way you're coming in or going out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that sport stemmed from, you know, prior to there being motorized boats and jet skis and these sort of things. Back in the day, people, if there was a rescue, people would row out in the boat. They'd go and pick up this guy, girl, group of people whatever it was throw them in the boat and row them back in through the waves Mm -hmm. and drop them off at the beach Um, you know and tradition sort of was maintained and and now it's a a huge sport at home you know they're racing very very um, specialized fiberglass you know 23 foot long boats Mm -hmm. Um, you know so yeah these sort of things all stem from from a purpose and and now Mm -hmm. they're more a uh, serving a sport function and it seems like how you said the civilization is set up along the coast. Like for me, living in the United States, the idea of living in the middle of the country, no offense to the middle, but just not having the ocean is is a big hit for me. And it's kind of a no-go from the start. Yeah. Um, but I feel like people who don't grow up around the ocean have this fear of it. And But if you grow up around it, it like you get a, a blend of, it's not like you're not aware that the ocean pre- presents many dangers. You're just comfortable and stimulated at the same time, um, which is something I was chatting with, uh, with the, I think Mark last night about. But it's like you need to overcome that the ocean is yeah it can be a dangerous place, but if you know what you're doing, which Australians seem to be very accustomed to, yeah, very accustomed <laughs> to. It's shocking how many people can't swim. Um, I actually do, I was not aware that people couldn't swim yeah, um, until thing. I got to America. Yeah, because if you want to graduate high school in Australia you have to demonstrate swimming competency. Like that's how ingrained it is in our culture. Yeah. We do swimming lessons in elementary school, which we call primary school and high school. So yeah. you so you were doing all these ocean sports, they're far bigger than obviously than lacrosse is. Are they are they rugby? monumentally bigger. So rugby's huge, right? Yep. What's bigger, rugby or ocean sports? Uh, ocean sports. Okay. So they're they're Yeah. Yeah. And, and ocean sports has a big wide umbrella though. So you know, rugby is a single sport. Ocean sports uh-huh. encompasses a yeah, lot. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, lacrosse struggles in Australia, especially because it competes against such dominant sports mm-hmm. um, and sports that are really appropriate to sort of 
our climate and our culture. Um, and that's forefront of by AFL, Australian Football League, is by far the biggest sport at home. And uh, for those people that don't know, no. Um, this is a, a code of football that is unique to Australia. So it is a code of football that's only played in Australia. Um, I think if you, you know, Americans talking to them, you know, and trying to explain the sport for the last seven years, it's sort of been like, oh, exactly what you sort of just alluded to. Yeah. Is it like soccer? Is it like rugby? Is uh-huh. it? If you were to put soccer, rugby, football, American football, basketball, all of them into a big sort of melting pot, probably could find tangents to all of those sports, yeah. I reckon. Um, but for the most part, it's a very standalone code of football. Do they wear pads? Nope, no pads. Played on an oval, which is uh, can be... Now, every oval is different. So unlike American football, which uh-huh. is measured down to the inch, yeah. every oval is different. So every so sort of home ground baseball, has a different advantage. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah like it's baseball. Like yeah, very much like baseball. Okay, uh-huh. cool. That's cool. I like the character yeah. that each stadium has. Yeah, very oh, much we're so. playing here this weekend it presents unique challenges yep. or advantages. Yeah, so you know, every, every stadium is unique. And the way they sort of mimic that is the biggest stadiums at home mm-hmm. have to be able to facilitate football and cricket. So Australian football and cricket. And they're played on sort of similar uh, shape fields, I should gotcha. say. Oval, if so not round, but oval. Is that why the, the uh, Australian football is played on a field like that? Was it because cricket? Yeah, cricket uh, it came over with, with the English. So gotcha. it's probably the oldest sport in Australia. Yeah. Um, so they were like, well, we got these oval fields. Yeah, I think, <laughs> you know, that's a great question. I honestly don't know that. Uh-huh. But I don't, the sport just wouldn't work unless it was on an oval field. Now, whether yeah. um, that was done in conjunction with cricket, I'm yeah. sure. Because like back in those days, you know, late 1800s, you can't just like make up a sport and then go about building what is now, you know, a, a 200 meter long field, yeah. pretty much, mm-hmm. 100 meters wide. It's not exactly something you just find on the back of everyone's uh, home. So yeah, well, it's not very the, the American built. way. Is no. the stadium is 10 years old? Let's build a new one with yeah know, massive funding and yeah. a little bit of taxpayer money. And and they, and they can be big. You know, we we just built a brand new um, stadium in, in my home city of Perth. Uh, called Optus Stadium. You're gonna which, get a PLL game firing up over oh, there. Oh, let's no, let's, in, let's is that <laughs> nothing w- with what the PLL is doing right now. Nothing is off the cards. Okay, so great. who knows? That would be who knows? phenomenal to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And to get a PLL that game down in Australia is, is uh, be a lifelong dream of mine. But. Yeah, that would be. That must be like bring talk about full circle. So, were you? You, did you play other these other sports before you played lacrosse? Because yeah, very, certainly. Yep. So I played football my whole life. Um, and then my dad is really big into surf clubs, so that's where uh-huh. I got into the surf life saving side. Uh-huh. Both those sports I was playing long and uh, well before I even had heard about lacrosse. Is the Australian football as violent as America? Like at the yeah, you get you s- hitting. Yeah, you certainly get some big hits. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's meant to be a very fast, free flowing game, uh-huh. but very, very physical. And very physical. Are the positions at all? Similar to the American sport? No. Or, okay, so no, we won't get no. into the, no, no, the details. No, no, very different. Otherwise yeah, very different. Be, uh, Probably set up almost more like soccer in terms of forwards, backs, wings, uh-huh. left half, right half. And you um, have to get it into an end zone type of thing? No, you've got to kick it between uprights. So when I say uprights, oh. they're goalposts. So uh-huh. we have two long goalposts in the middle and then a shorter goalpost on either side of them. So it's four goalposts that stand there uh-huh. through the middles of the big large two ones is six points uh-huh. and the ball comes back to the midfield and gets balled up, bounced up again, uh-huh. start all over. Um, if you kick it between the tall upright and the short upright on the left or right hand side, then it's a single point, the ball starts in that end of the field in a 10 by 10 square. Gotcha, do you drop kick it? 
Is nope, a... nope. So it's all you can drop kick it, uh-huh. but no, you kick it. So you you straight punt it. Mm-hmm. But punting doesn't really do it justice because the whole premise of punting in American football is for distance. Uh-huh. Um, the premise so of kicking an, the football in Australia too. is accuracy. Yeah. I mean, these guys are, thro- are kicking the football like you would see a quarterback throw the football mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yeah. Don't break stride. Laces out. Um, you know they can drop it in a bin, 30, 40 yards away. Is there? Isn't there a, a Gaelic football? Or yep, that's that, Irish. That imbi- yeah, no, no, but that the kicking has like it sounds like the same type of thing. Like they have to be very accurate. Very, very. But they kick with a soccer ball. Uh huh. So they actually kick like above the ground with a round ball. Gotcha. Whereas so the Australian football is a football. It's like a mix between an American football and a rugby ball. Okay, so it's got a little bit of. Yep, uh, it's leather, leather, but with a bit more of a rounded end than American football. Similar size to American football, uh-huh. a bit more rounded end, and um, a lot more air pressure in them. Gotcha. Were, and were you talented at that? I mean, you're yeah, I ser- athletic. Football so. was my first love. Yeah, okay. so I, I certainly, um, you know, I certainly fell in love with the sport and uh-huh. um, was quite successful in my youth level, um, and then continued to play. And I actually um, had a conjunction of probably about 17 years of age where I really had to choose between the two sports of lacrosse and football. Uh-huh. Um, so I actually chose football first and foremost. And you started lacrosse at what age? Yeah, w- yeah. so we can probably backtrack a little bit. I, s- I started lacrosse when I was 12, 11, 12. Uh-huh. Were you instantly defense or was that? No, I actually played midfield until I was 17. Oh, really? And then I picked up my first long pole when I was 17. When did you become uh, kind of the Greek god type body here? Nah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was I was very much a late bloomer, Gibby. So like coming coming through school, I was yeah ele- ele- elementary school, out, yeah. primary school. I know. <laughs> yeah, you're still waiting. It's coming, baby. Don't worry. Don't worry. This is this thirty year old? Yeah. <laughs> so coming through elementary school, I was always like a big kid, and uh-huh. then you know when I was going into high school, I just like stopped. Everyone sort of surpassed me and kept going. Um, I was very, very much a late bo- a bloomer, you know, mm. late to hit puberty, um, all those sort of good things, um, but certainly hit me like a wrecking ball. Yeah. So when I was sort of 17 going on 18, I was uh-huh. growing almost four inches that year, um, and then up when I was 19, grew like another two inches. And so sort of when, I, when it did hit me, it hit uh-huh. me with full force and I sprouted up, but I was always, you know, I like to tell people, you know, being a bigger, younger kid and then not growing until later, I was always had that sort of like big kid mentality, uh-huh. but I think for a lot of my adolescent years, I was stuck in a smaller body. Uh-huh. Um, so I think when I did get big, it was not a strange to me, uh, as opposed to growing into my big body. Yeah. I think I was like growing into my big mentality. Yeah, you're so. kind of you were finding <laughs> as tough as you, your mind was, yeah. if you will. Yeah. So, and, so and that's you were. Was it like okay, I'm huge now. Now I'm on defense because you you have offensive prowess and you can shoot the hell out of the ball. So like. Clearly, you learn some of that before, and then you get a long pole in your hand. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's where the sports differentiates uh, between America and U.S. Like, you know, going back again, the first time I saw the sport, I was 11, 12 years old in 2002, and Perth, Australia, my hometown, hosted the World Games. Mm-hmm. So I had a family friend introduce me to the sport, and I got to see, back in 2002, the best players in the world play at the highest level. And I think it was a love affair at first sight. Yeah, who, who you know, is... I sort of saw what the sport was at the very top and the pinnacle. Yeah, and I, you know, who was insta- on the team at that point? For was it the US, yeah, yeah. Powers. I had my actually full circle. My mm. college coach at Stevenson, Paul Canterbury. Yeah, he was a face-off guy for America in 2002. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you had your John Grants for Canada and stuff uh-huh. like this. Uh, 
Um, so that, yeah, I mean, that's the cream of the crop. Getting yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, playing, I, I just uh, fell into a short pole, played midi, mm -hmm. um, was always a bit more defensively inclined. But in Australia, whether it be youth or adolescent, you can only have 16 guys on a team. And that's done just because of participation. Uh -huh. So it's unfair for teams to have more players because other clubs can't match that participation level. Uh -huh. So at 16 years, at 16 players, I should so say. So what, did they have to cut guys? Like, what if the numbers... No, it's more, it's more the other way. You're more so bringing, short, up, you're more bringing up young okay. guys to play in older divisions and stuff gotcha. like that. Yeah, so uh -huh. 16 is like, you know, when you get up into the state leagues, yeah, sure, there's guys competing for those spots, but uh -huh. it, may be a, it may be a depth of 20 guys, not... So, wow. so, and that, and so that sort like of facility or a mm. PLL team. Mm. PLL's got how many guys on a team? Twenty. Twenty. Yep, twenty who get to put on a jersey every week. Uh -huh. That's right. Yeah, but that sort of facilitates that two-way mentality. Um, so you know, being a media, played a lot of offense, a lot of defense, uh -huh. take, took face-offs, did everything. What was your offensive style? Like, were you a, de a alley dodger where you uh, bully someone off of you yeah I think I was definitely like a very generic split alley dodger okay uh, nothing too flashy yeah I was I've always been able to shoot the ball pretty well uh-huh um, well if you had this body back then then you'd probably be like a you know a Miles Jones Perkovic get off me shoot yeah yep and I think you know switching over to defense before I sort of fully came into maturation and fruition in, in terms of body size and amplitude um, if that had happened a little earlier, you know, I may have never played defense, but uh -huh. I don't regret it at all. I, I love, I, I'm a lot more defensively inclined, even going back saying playing football. Always played on the defensive half of the ball. Uh -huh. it just, it, it's, it was what makes sense for me um, in terms of being able to play yeah. um, a sport. I, I just, I felt for one reason or another, a bit more defensively inclined. Yeah. And then, well, you're a hack, you know, you, do, you beat the hell out of yeah. people. You know, I wasn't always like that, though. I wasn't always like that. But um, yeah, so I remember, I remember like coming into an under 17s year. So the way lacrosse works at home is under 13s, under 15s, under 17s, and then open. Okay. So my last year of modified, my last year of junior lacrosse and under 17s, um, we didn't have enough long poles. My coach was a close defenseman in when when he was brought up. Uh -huh. So I borrowed his pole for the first eight games of our season. Is that we mean need more defensemen? You play, so you, you went, know, good defensemen. It, what, you weren't switching six; you were full pole. Yep, yep. So I picked up a pole and, and jumped right in the deep end. And, and so at first you didn't hack people. You were yeah, more no, of a, yeah, more of a absolutely. Layback, but then I was you very much a, like an old school two-way midi. Do a lot of work between the lines. Uh -huh. Always been a, a decent athlete, so could get up and down the field okay. But um, I would be as much as I love to score so goals. I'm not judging you. Yeah, I, like I, I don't get when a guy lets me stand there without hacking me violently it just seems like a great advantage you don't want to sacrifice your feet of course but if you can manage your footwork and being violent with the stick it it definitely hurts yeah <laughs> yeah no certainly certainly and I think um you know anyone who's listening to this podcast and has played against me or watched me play <laughs> would know I'd be lying wholeheartedly if I said I wasn't a hack yeah um, PTSD is kicking in right now yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, you've you've had the fortunate and unfortunate pleasure of being a teammate and an opposition of mine. Yeah, so I'm I love sure it you've, though. I'd have it no other way. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like that's and then when you get the ball on the ride, I'm I'm coming. Absolutely. And you don't wear armpits. So no, and that, and, and and that's kind of like I, I don't know where that stemmed for. I just really don't like pads for uh -huh. number one. Well, you have uh, arms big. Some guys, it's a force, right? Like some guys, you're like, dude, put on armpits. You're gonna get a swollen elbow. Yeah. But you're actually your arms are you know. Medium. 
they're just large enough for it to be a, a reasonable idea. So, but some guys do it because they want to be cool. But those little pads are, would be a burden for you. Yeah, yeah. So I come and go. I sort of wear them like every now and then. And if I got a sore arm or something, I might put, put yeah, them on or whatever. Yeah. But you, use it you know, as like playing a maybe as a back to back or a shorter week. Yeah. They look after my arms a little bit. But otherwise, you know, I'd rather take a lick and have the freedom of no pads. Yeah, it's good to take a whack. At, you know what I mean? Yeah, it gets There's you going. It yeah. does, and like. To, to live or to be living a life where you ha are constantly, I don't want to say wounded, but you have the, this evidence of the hard work, is there's something prideful about that. And it's like, I, I miss being getting hit like that and having to constantly nurse my body. I still remember uh, 2014, the World Games in Denver. I had just finished my sophomore season at Stevenson. Mm. And college, you know, we've got to wear mouth guards, shoulder pads, elbow pads, gloves, helmets. I was like, get this crap off me. Like, I yeah. hate this. I feel just... Cut the palms. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Get to the World <laughs> Games, cut, cut the crap out of my gloves, no shoulder pads, no arm pads. Remember, played, we played the U.S. the second game. And uh, I remember, like, lining up, and I can hear that the 10 starters U.S., like, this fucking guy's not wearing armpits. Who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> and for anyone first, who can't hear me, I was first, whispering a few profanities. But yeah, the these, I think like, and, and now like looking back on it, you know, I think these guys could sort of, they'd never seen it. For me, that's normal. Uh -huh. Gloves and a helmet. That's what I grew up playing lacrosse in. Um, oh, these, so you, in, in your youth, you didn't wear... I wore arm pads as a, a, as a midi. Okay. As soon as I started playing defense, gloves and a helmet. Really? And no shoulder pads? No. No, no one wears shoulder pads. There was pads. kind of this scare tactic when you're young, though, that if you didn't have the shoulder pads, like, you're going to get hurt. I didn't learn about that until I came over here. Well, yeah, Even the, the shoulder pads I wore in college, they were made of beanbag balls. I just wore them because I had to. Yeah, in the MLL, like... If you're gonna, if I was gonna get hurt because of no shoulder pain, it would have happened. Like I'm a smaller guy, I got hit a lot, um, I got laid out a lot, and then you just realize the shoulder pads are not. Yeah. It's almost like so you can spend more money. It's, it's not almost. <laughs> it's, like, it's exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, so you're gonna get hurt. Buy these shoulder pads for another yeah, hundred bucks. Yeah. Get a pad. yeah they could yeah. throw anything at you. You need shin yeah. guards to play this. Um, so I remember like that that U.S. game coming out. Th these guys were probably bewildered that I wasn't wearing shoulder pads or uh -huh. elbow pads or anything um, you know for me it was just normality and I, for me I played two college seasons and I was waiting to get these things off me at a, at a, at a good level of lacrosse uh -huh. um, which I did and as it turns out you know you're saying some guys doing these uh, this you know no pads or whatever to um, as a bit of showmanship or whatever yep. I, I was completely oblivious to that side but I think that's probably what the US thought I was doing yeah and I remember that first half Having You're just barbaric. Three penalties drawn on me. Yeah, I did end up finish that game, and I think, you know, in hindsight, it was probably not a great idea playing well, against it, arguably one of the most physical, if not the most physical, uh -huh. uh, team in the World Games. Yeah, and just got the absolute. And it calls for like when a guy's. Where do you slash someone where the pads aren't, right? It's like if, if you did have elbow pads, the slashing would have happened between it and the glove. Absolutely. But when you open up the full arm, it's just open season. Yeah, it's like a blank canvas, isn't yeah. it? Did you think when you came out when you well, we'll get to your journey to college in the States, but when you got to the States and these guys were all wearing pads, were you, like, soft? Did, were, did you, were you oh, immediately like, Oh, you'll love this. Like, you'll right. love this. And I know you have no idea about this story. <laughs> but I set some records at Stevenson, and probably the one that um, will never, ever be broken is the total penalty minutes. Mm 
um, in a regular season and in a career. Yeah, you have a glimmering playing, eye. Yeah. <laughs> playing D3 lacrosse as a six foot four guy is you know, a little tough in that respect too. Yeah. And the way I play is very physical. Yeah, and it's almost but a lot of sympathy flags. If the you first will. ever penalty I ever got in college was uh, not wearing pads. So Not wearing pads. So I came oh, out, I remember my first game, yeah, and the, and the umpire was like, are you wearing a mouth guard? I was like, no. Nah. I was like, I don't even know I had to have one. He said, are you wearing elbow pads? I was like, nah. <laughs> He's like, and you definitely don't have shoulder pads on either, do you? And just instantly, as, as soon as I was, before I could get the yes out of my, my, my lips, the yeah, the flag's so coming the game, out of his pocket. This yeah. game. Yeah. That's funny. This is the first quarter. Do you know what country you're in? Yeah. I was so like, coach. That's a hell yeah. of a start. Yeah. So but the my, fact uh, that they didn't warn you is almost on them. You're a foreigner coming to a new country. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was like, uh, just very oblivious. Uh-huh. It's like, didn't even know that that would be an issue. And like, even your coach was, he probably knew and was like, someone tell Callum, yeah. he's so big, I'm not going to be the one. <laughs> and like, just let him go, get the pen. He'll learn. Yeah. This is, and here I am, seven years later, yeah. still you telling did, the story. Yeah. I'll still never forget it. And not yeah. wearing pads. So it only happened once, um, one strike. So how did you, let's just backtrack to you getting over from um, Australia to here. What was that? How did you get, it? I know Adam Sear, who, for anyone viewing who doesn't know him, played at Maryland, an Australian guy. You were somehow connected and you were friends with him? Yes, yeah, so Adam and I grew up in the same city. We uh-huh. played lacrosse at the same club, Wembley Lacrosse in Perth. Uh-huh. Um, and Adam was is about three years my older. Uh-huh. And was always, um, as a youth lacrosse player, one of the most talented, if not the most talented youth lacrosse player in Australia. Uh-huh. And was always, you know, coming, he was from my club. Um, he was a little older than me. I got to watch him play as a junior. I got to play against him some opportunities. Him up. He was he was an absolute, you know, phenomenal lacrosse player, and sort of set the standard for what um, what youth men's lacrosse players can do in Australia, mm-hmm. at, at least in my um, generation. Certainly, I've never seen a more talented youth lacrosse player uh, in my career uh-huh. inside our country than Adam was. And uh, he had the opportunity to come over here and play four years at Maryland, and he did very well. And set the standard. Adam's very good in sort of paying it forward. Um, if I came over, I want to bring one guy over. I want to yeah. bring two more guys over. Um, and the opportunity presented itself to me um, to come over and play collegiate lacrosse um, after I represented Australia at a junior, uh, like, um, it's called ASPAX, Asian Pacific oh, yeah. Tournament. Some uh, Chinese players mm-hmm. were in here. Um, yeah, so I played for an under-23 Australian team, did really well, won MVP of the team, and was sort of like... Midi at this point? No, I'm playing close. Oh. Yep, I'm playing. I'm actually playing LSM. Okay. So I played LSM until I came to college. Um, um, so you still got to take it over and yeah, pull, yeah. Up, pull up from um, 22. And yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty 22 much. 22 meters. Yeah. <laughs> so as a, um, I was nine, 19 going on 20 at that stage. I didn't get to America until I was 21. Just turned 21 when I was on mm-hmm. the on the plane. Um, kind of like age of a lot of ho- American hockey players. Yes. Do the yep. So it was it, when the opportunity the to come to America presented itself. It was very make or break. It was like, uh-huh. I'm either going to dive head first into this, or if I sort of dwindle and, and beat around the bush, the opportunity is going to be gone and it's going to be a distant memory. Uh-huh. So I met up with Adam when he came back to Perth. Uh, we went out for drinks and a meal just um, like a Sunday afternoon. I think he was actually probably flying out the next day mm-hmm. and just talked about the opportunity. And then one thing sort of led to the next. Um, sort of, my first thing was to make a college highlight tape, mm-hmm. which is still floating around on YouTube somewhere. I, I, I think I saw, I found it in my... Yeah, so very, no one films games at home. So I had to get like three games specially filmed. Uh-huh. I cut 10 minutes of footage from three lacrosse games uh-huh. that, 
you know, this day and age, looking at especially the media, the PLL people are putting out like that. Yeah. You know, it probably looks like it was shot on like an iPhone 3. Uh-huh. Um, so very sort of um, old school, but it's, it served its purpose. Yeah. Um, so originally I was going to Maryland and with Adam's connections to Maryland, um, that was always a big aspiration of mine. And, uh-huh. and so we sort of had a back, back door in there. Yep. I found out about three weeks prior to the 2002 fall 2012 fall semester starting that I was going to be in, in athletically ineligible um, at Maryland but also uh, uh, in Division 1 lacrosse why, so Division 1 lacrosse so? has di- different eligibility rules to Division 2 and to Division 3 um, so the way it works is you have 5 years running clock to do 4 years of athletics so if you hurt yourself you can take a year off and you've still got another year yep. this is at Division 1 level um, that running clock starts as soon as you start university. The way oh. they deemed it for me was I had done two and a half years of university back in Australia um, of a chemical engineering degree at Curtin University. Yep. My clock, my athletic clock started when I started that course. Okay. By the time I was going to start my fall semester in 2012, it would have been three and a half years. I would have had a year and a half to play sports mm. and four years of college to do. Gotcha. Never would have worked. It would have been athletically eligible. Yeah. Yep. So we found this out literally three weeks before school started uh-huh. and it broke me because I thought that's it opportunity's gone I had a college and a coach and a program that really wanted me yep. sort of put all my eggs in one basket and um, it, it, it fell short I thought I said and then what? Adam had connections to Stevenson as well right? so Adam was starting his position as a graduate assistant at Stevenson that year so was that the, was that that was it okay because I went in looking the background, I was like, oh, okay, I think that's what happened. I, I didn't want to jump to conclusions. Yep, but. yep. So I remember my first ever time talking to Coach Canterbean. I was actually at a bar on a Sunday afternoon, which is uh, a, a, uh, traditionally a, a big sort of social day in Australia. Uh-huh. Um, I remember talking to Coach for the first time. Now, school had started. So school had started when he was calling me. Uh-huh. I, didn't get to, I didn't get to Stevenson three weeks after the first day of first semester. So everything was expedited. Uh-huh put me on a plane I was there now I got a full four years to play um, division three lacrosse originally they assessed me three years of eligibility so I had done two and a half years of a chemical engineering degree uh-huh. I wanted to come over if I was going to pay and go to university I needed to graduate I needed to make my worthwhile so originally I got three years of eligibility so the only course that I could complete in three years or close to three years was chemistry Stevenson didn't have an engineering um, pr- program so chemical engineering, I moved those credits over to chemistry. Mm-hmm. Got almost a year of credits. So I had three years of school to do, three years of athletic eligibility, stars aligned. I was like, beauty, sign me up. Why not? Okay, so Adam is very, uh, he's as involved as I thought he was. Uh, Adam, without Adam, I w- would not be sitting here talking okay. to you. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Wholeheartedly. Before Wholeheartedly. we move off of him, the last, I don't know if it was the last time I saw him. One of the previous times I've seen him, it was at an establishment called Shellback in Manhattan Beach. Yes. And I walked into the place looking to have some fun with some friends and I'm you know, just scanning the bar and I see a gentleman in the back drinking out of a shoe. Mm. Um, and I'm mm. like, oh, this is Adam Sear. I know him. There you so go. He's going to be he's gonna be so happy when he hears this. And he's and the reference to Adam Sear is going to be him drinking out of a shoe. I well, love that. Well, in, he's and for, a, uh, for, for the Aussies out there, it's called a shoey. Okay, a shoey. Yeah, I was going to transition yeah. into that's a thing amongst yeah. Australians. Absolutely. Right? Big thing. Um, yeah, and I knew it was, so I didn't make a deal out of it. It was just like, <laughs> uh, finish up your shoe and what's up? Like, it wasn't a... Um, but 
just wanted to. I'd be lying if I said I haven't done a few shoeys myself. He, I might have done one right after that. Um, <laughs> uh, what was I getting to? Um, so you get to you get to Stevenson. Oh, are there Outback Steakhouses in Australia? Hell no. Okay, good. My brother wanted. Bloomin' Onions is not our national food. Yeah, I, I figured it was a gimmick, <laughs> but it used to be like our me and my brother's fancy night out it was like, let's go get a Bloomin' Onion. And a <laughs> yeah. It was like our Ruth's Chris. Um, Fine dining. Yeah, so you get to Stevenson three weeks into the fall. Yep. You're at, was Pat Cannon there at that time? Yeah, yep. Uh, for anyone watching, Pat Cannon is a family friend of mine, and him and his brother Joey played at Stevenson, so you're playing with them. Were you welcomed pretty quickly? I yeah. I mean, you're a personable guy, so it was probably seamless, but was there any culture shock, both lacrosse A huge culture shock. Okay, why? Well, yeah. Because you're, like, just trying to drink out of shoes and stuff That's, like that. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to wrangle down ruse and, you know, drink out of shoes and... Yeah, it's just it was all messed up. Yeah. Um, yeah, big culture shock. For one, you know, I moved my life halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. Never been away from my family for that long, um, and had committed to it at least a year. Um, so it was definitely a culture shock. Absolutely big culture shock. But I've been very fortunate to be traveling from a young age. My mm-hmm. family has always encouraged traveling. I've lived and worked now in four different countries. Um, what are they? England, mm-hmm. Malaysia, Australia. In US. What were you doing in England and Malaysia? So England, I actually lived, my family and I, we moved over there when I was 12 years old. Uh-huh. My dad was born in England, uh, moved to Australia when he was two. So my brother and I are fortunate enough to have a, a British passport. Oh. So we went over there did a semester of school. My parents got jobs. We were over there for about eight months. We did a semester of school and then we just traveled around Europe. So when I was 12, got to see the whole of Europe, lived in London. Uh, really fell in love and got addicted to traveling sort of yeah. can definitely hone it to that sort of experience uh-huh. um, and then Malaysia was a yeah Malaysia I was working on a um, a, a, a big um, shipping vessel it's called Jumbo Jubilee it was called 110 meter boat two 900 ton cranes they were manufacturing um, concrete pylons in Malaysia and using me as a jetty infrastructure in the northwest of my state so gotcha. northwest of Western Australia it was cheaper and quicker for them to manufacture concrete pylons in Malaysia, have them shipped in. in. Uh-huh. Now, where they were doing work was an environmentally protected area. So my job in Malaysia was to quarantine the boat. Gotcha. So we'd go through and make, that everything, make sure that everything on that boat was kosher with Australian laws. Uh-huh. Um, in an environmentally protected area, everything is super fragile and they are super strict uh-huh. to the point where... When Which is sh- how it ought to be. Absolutely. Right? And that's why Australia, you know, they have... Uh, They're the front runners in environmental respect yep. if you will conservation uh-huh. the um, banned plastic bags like we talked go. about earlier yep 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 yeah very forward so very all right so you've been you've done you've been into other cultures before so you were it was a culture shock to come over to the u.s but you had done yeah long story short i think that culture shock is like what i was seeking i think i yeah. got to a 21 year old in australia and you know i was stuck in a root of university and, mm-hmm. and, and i'm working i'm you know just doing the the same thing, um, you know, and I was, I was ready for, a, I was ready for a, a break. I was uh-huh. ready for another challenge and opportunity. Uh-huh. Um, so certainly getting off a plane on the other side of the world, knowing one person, circle back to Adam Sear right uh-huh. there. No one else. So he was no coaching it there at that time. Hey? He was yeah. coaching. Yeah, yep. Okay. So he started, so his first year coaching was my first year playing. So I fell in really nicely. So he was my coach for two years. We actually won a national championship together. Was that the first year you arrived? First year. It was. So your first year, you get over here, you win the national championship. Were you yep. like, this is easy? 
Well, I, and I'd always come across, and now I paid for my way to come to university. So I'd always come across and say, look, I can do this for one year, definitely. Let's see how it is, and then I'll make my assessment whether I want to come back and, and continue doing this. First year, I mean, you know, I jumped onto still to date what is um, arguably one of the funnest, most successful, and best teams I've ever been a part of, which was that 2013 Stevenson team. Uh-huh. And I fell in love not only with the sport, with the culture, with the university, with America. So from there, it, was, it wasn't even a question. It was just, hey, how, how do we make this work? How can I come back here for another two years after that? Uh-huh. Did you, were you a hardworking student? I mean, for, for me, I, I personally didn't, put, didn't take advantage academically like I should have, and it's like one of the regrets I have about, it's not like I totally put no effort, but I didn't really find what I wanted to do, and so nothing really grabbed me to dive into. That's a good way of outsourcing the blame. But <laughs> I just, basically, I would have done things differently. Were you a very, were you studious? Were you yeah, a- no, I'm, I'm, I am very studious. My brother is very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, when you're paying for university, I think coming over as an older, older student was in my advantage in the way I was able to put things in perspective. Uh-huh, yeah, Having those sure. life experiences from yep. living and working around the world definitely helped put things in perspective. For sure. And I knew that if I wanted to make it a Division three level, there's no athletic money at all. I could be a start on the lacrosse field. It's not going to help me pay for school. Yep. Uh, the only money I was getting was academic money. So I, I was one of three science majors on my team. I studied uh-huh. chemistry. And I worked my ass off in the classroom. And, you know, I finished my final year, you know, on a very, 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 very good scholarship. Um, but I also graduated with a, a 3.8 GPA in chemistry. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, whether it be athletic, academic, um, tying your shoelaces, whatever it is. If you put in the work, inevitably it will come full circle and, and reward you in the long run. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I, I certainly exercise that now. I would not have been able to play three years of collegiate lacrosse mm-hmm. if I didn't do that. So it wasn't even an option. It wasn't something that came full circle. Uh-huh. I was working towards the goal of getting the best grades and getting better scholarship money every year yep. because that was the only way I could keep this dream going. Yep. And was, so what, how did you guys fare uh, your junior and senior years? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of championship teams, they sort of struggle following championships. Uh-huh. But you guys were still contenders. Absolutely. <coughs> we were very good teams. But I think the stars aligned that, that year. Uh-huh. We had... Um, you know, a, a roster with some very good seniors who mm-hmm. we lost and graduated and some transfers who came in and did very well and sort of just complemented what we had as a mm-hmm. team. Um, now, the next two years, we were very good, but we never made it back to the championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we made it back uh, to the semifinals, I think, in the following year, or maybe the quarters, mm-hmm. and I think to the quarters again. Um, so, so you guys were, so, yeah, still, I mean, it's hard to win a national, you know what I mean? <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you, you know, my first year here winning that, I was, I, I sort of underappreciated yeah, what that because, meant. Yeah, it came so quick. <coughs> got a nice shiny ring on my finger. I was like, damn, this is easy. Like, yeah. I got two more years of this. I'm yeah. going to have a handful of diamonds. Yeah. And then I'll, yeah. Um, um, I think, you know, following that, that glorious year and uh, what it was, I think those, those hardships and, and, um, you know the challenges that we faced the next two years, and mm-hmm. me being a, you know, a captain my senior year and stuff like that. I, I really underappreciated what it took in order to get, you know, and we had a roster of seventy kids. Uh-huh. In order to get seventy kids all in line, mind on the goal, and to 70. execute, 
Yeah. Is that... We had the largest roster, I believe, in collegiate lacrosse in 2013 yeah, when we won. Yeah, that's a real good after party. 70, 70 people? That lot... How do you have enough lockers? Our lock... The facilities at Stevenson University, and this isn't even a plug, are second to none. Yeah. We have absolute incredible facilities down uh, there. Every locker has an engraved wood board, head, headpiece, plasma TVs. We've got lockers out kitted for six, I think 68 guys. Wow, that was a plug. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was a plug. Shout out Canterbury. <laughs> no, that's awesome that you guys had, like, for, we had, when, when I was in college, the first two years, it's not like we had terrible facilities, but getting that upgrade to where it's like wooden lockers is a big, it can like, it boosts morale big time. 100%. You feel like the, yeah. the support. I think cool thing we do there as well is when you graduate, they'll take down your engraved wood piece headboard the Stevenson University on it, C. Robinson, number 10, something you get to take with you and stuff like uh -huh. that. Yeah, so it's got a cool tradition to it. Yeah, I don't think it's a tradition. Was that the first uh, national championship that the school had won? First national championship that the school had won in any sport. Oh, oh yeah, because it was a newer university, right? Yeah, so stem from Villa Julie. Gotcha. Um, and so it had like their infrastructure and... So actually our stadium and our facilities were all the ex-Ravens yes. um, training facilities. Okay, that is. So yeah. our athletic training facilities, our uh -huh. stadium and our locker room, all was a part of that. So uh -huh. that's kind of why our yeah. stuff is really legit there. Ice baths and we're and very that. spoiled. Yeah, the mm -hmm. school did um, a really good job of looking after us. And, and our old president, uh, President Manning, was a was a diehard sport enthusiast and he he made sure that you know the school was pushing the boundaries in sort of athletic resources all the time and, and what we were able to do on the field is you know a, a direct result of what that man sort of enabled the coaches uh -huh. and the directors to give the students um, in terms of facilities and well me and you are both i mean having played together we take advantage of the facilities the training <laughs> staff we're in the ice baths safe you know? to say safe to it's say like that's been a, a mainstay in my career is that i'm very good friends with the trainers uh because i get so much treatment yep um, and i'll 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 get treatment even if it's, you know, not entirely necessary, just for the maintenance, and I'm good friends with the trainer, so it's also, you know, hanging out with pals. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were the same way in Atlanta, you know, you, if the ice bath would be like you, me, Ratla, the guys who, treatment hounds, as we call those Yeah, stars. yeah, and, I, and I'm certainly one of those guys. I think if you have those facilities available, I come yeah. from a country um, and a sport, especially in my country. Um, now, the athletic facilities and training Australia wide and at professional level amongst the big sports is really second to none. Uh -huh. But in lacrosse, it was almost non existent. Yeah. So, so I came into some facilities yeah. that I had you never feasted. seen before uh -huh. and I dived right in. Yep. And I think seven years later, here I am. Yeah. Still plugging them yep. the way I did then. But, you know, I'm 28 years old now, I just turned 28. Uh, and, you know, I, I believe I'm in the best shape that I have been inside America since I was 21. Yep, you're leaner um, than you were last year and fatter yeah. faster, so. Yep, yeah, I've dropped, I dropped about 16 pounds uh -huh. from my playing weight for the last four years. Can you still guard the big boys or what? Oh yeah. Okay, good, because yeah, yeah. you are, you were, you could guard like Paul from up top, but then we'd put you on like Dylan Malloy, because yep. you got the, but you still weigh, what do you weigh, 240? Yeah, I'm about 236 right now. Yeah, so you're still, you know, yeah. It must be nice to shed weight like that. Yeah, I tell you what, the body Adonis recovers a little faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was here's a question: Was your um, improvement once you got over here to the states at Stevenson? Was there a more rapid like learning curve and improvement there, or once you went pro? Uh, like, once I once I went pro. Okay, so once that was pro. like really getting thrown into the fire. Yeah, I think in in college, 
uh, I relied very heavily on my athleticism. Uh-huh. And when we get to the pros, there was a lot of athletes. Yeah. Um, being you know a, a, a big defender in Division Three, I was a bit of an anomaly. Um, so I sort of exploited that. Yep. And I really didn't have to do too much else. I mean, I could be a superior athlete with um, you know okay defensive knowledge and you know first team All American. I get to the pros. There's a lot of athletes on both sides of the ball. Uh-huh. And now I didn't have, say, perhaps the understanding that I do these days. And I struggled a little bit. It took me a little bit, one, to catch up to the speed of the pro game. Uh-huh. But also, two, to sort of see a play happening. You know, sort of two steps or two plays in yeah. advance. Yeah. Um, and I think kind that's... That wider look. As abs- opposed to yeah, just a bit of perspective. Uh-huh. I think instead of, um, instead of just being a reactive-based player, as I perhaps was in college, I was a bit more proactive in the way I played defense. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm setting people up. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm expecting him to do one thing or another, depending on what happened on the last possession or what the ball did two passes ago. Maybe I can see a play developing or evolving before it actually comes into fruition. Mm-hmm. So this is something I actually have had a chat with Tom Kelly about because he, he obviously played at Virginia, won a champ, but didn't play much there and then ended up leaving. So he didn't have like the D1 college pedigree, but went pro and is in the same way that you have had a lot of success and uh, I got Hyken is another he's a division three guy uh, apologies to any of the other D3. Mike Simon Carl Hartzell Mike, yeah Hartzell um, but just the mindset like I, were you coming in thinking that like you had something to prove or were you worried like wow I'm really about to find out like what and how quickly did you realize that you were right there with these yeah guys? I think I've always had a chip on my shoulder you know being an Aussie mm-hmm um, coming over I, I've, you know I've, sort of every league that I've gone into I've gone out of my depth and then I find a way to sort of surface get back to medium ground and and, uh, and then learn how to sort of uh-huh. um, use it to my advantage in that dominate. being an Aussie you mean just being an outsider if yep. you will yeah and I think I've you know I've always been a better player when I play with a chip on my shoulder uh-huh. when I have something to prove yep. when my back's against the wall when Someone tells me I can't do this or uh-huh. the odds are against me. Yeah. Man, I get down in the trenches and I just keep working until yeah. it becomes a reality. Well, it's kind of whether or not you like consciously sought things like that. You did, right? You're you're from a country where almost no one comes over here to play, let alone professionally. Yeah. So it's like that's who you are, right? Yeah. It's like you you had that chip and then you came over and it wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, my senior year of college I tore my labrum in my hip um, in the semifinal game. Sorry, in my last game, which would have been the quarterfinals, I think. And was and I went and I got drafted and I went. So and played was that some... before the game? You mm-hmm. were drafted already. So the year yeah, knew yeah, about you. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I was drafted sure back in, in those days. You would get drafted in January. Yeah, I think I got I drafted re- before. You yeah, were the same. I, think, I think got drafted so. before I, I even remember. played a game of my senior year. Yes. Okay. So. So I ended up joining the Bayhawks. I had a torn labor in my hip. Uh huh. Um, I struggled through that season. One for playing time and two for performance. Uh huh. But, but you, you know, played that, some games, That probably right? put a bigger... Yeah, I did. I think I played two in my first year. Like, but that, put it which in is, like, just in the grand scheme of lacrosse, it's hard, really hard to play in the ML. Like, when you look at a roster, who are you going to... You know what I mean? Every team is like, i got to take one of these guys' spots. All yeah. of them are the cream of the crop. That's it. So it's like, to have a torn labor and be from Australia, I know you're saying you, like, underperformed, but, like, you're already doing it yeah know? <laughs> I know, yeah but i'm always a i'm a perfectionist yeah, there's a lot of people wanted, exactly. back in australia saying oh you know you're doing great you're uh-huh, the only yeah. person outside of north america better. playing yeah i said yeah but you know i want to be i don't want to be just 
you know, a good Aussie playing lacrosse. I want to be yeah. a good lacrosse player in the uh, best professional league in the world. Yep. And what was at that time. Um, so I think that chip, you know, coming out of college, I did really well my senior year. And, mm. I, you know, I got better as a lacrosse player. I felt good. You know, I knew it was going to be a new challenge going to the pros. I really struggled that first year. Mm-hmm. Injury burden, not playing a lot. Do you recall? That chip any... grew on my shoulder uh, a lot. Oh, so that drove you. Oh, absolutely. Do you remember any specific, who'd you guard? My first game, I think we played uh, Boston, and I was guarding Will Man. Oh, he would the... have been new. He would have been fresh into the league, I think, around that time too. But he was probably a year or two ahead of me. He's the mo, in my opinion, the he's one of the best lefties. But he's so good. Like he, I, I wouldn't want to guard him. No, he's and he's so not active. Yeah, he is. Yeah, never stops moving. A yep. small little guy. Yeah. Um, he does really well. Um, Off ball yes. as well. Yeah, which is you know one of the toughest areas of my game. Uh huh. Um, and th- so that your off-ball play has improved astronomical. Like with your perspective gaining, like off-ball play is part of that. And then being part of the slide package as opposed to in college you were, Callum, go beat that guy up yeah. and take the ball. Very much. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. yeah. So he, yeah, he, he's, if you're, if you're still learning, gaining perspective and off-ball skill, he might be the last guy that I'd yeah. want to guard. Yep, yep. Um, so I think that first year was very humbling for me. And then, you know, I went home to Australia and had a choice whether I wanted to come back or stay in Australia. Mm-hmm. Now, after that season went home, I had my hip operated on, got my labrum cut out and sort of had like three months of, you know, just literally sitting uh-huh. and then another sort of three months of rehab um, to really think about whether this is something I wanted to pursue or not. Now, uh-huh. the MLL four years ago was paying pennies. Um, so I wasn't doing it to make a living. I put on hold a chemical engineering degree and a, and a career in engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing this because I loved the game yeah. and because I fell in love with you and everyone uh, the else, lacrosse you know? environment. Yeah, I mean, no you one know, was raking it in. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But so I, I made I made the decision to come back and, and, and continue playing. Mm-hmm. And, was that um, a bit what you were teetering? Were you strongly considering not coming? Oh, yeah. very, Get, very. Okay. I think at one point in time, I, it was the other way around. I was. You know, just considering whether I actually even wanted to come back, I thought uh, I already made the decision that I was going to be staying wow. in Australia. And you, so you really did it for the love coming back for that salary. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Rookie MLL salary is. Yeah. I mean. You're blowing it at the bar. Yeah. It's gone in 45 minutes. Yep. Um, yeah. And you're hurt, so that that's another thing. You know, you're trying to nurse yourself, and you're a bright person with probably opportunities domestically in Australia that are. Appealing. Yeah, I so. was on an I was on an academic scholarship for engineering in Australia, and I could have gone back and continued that, and I uh-huh. only had a year and a half of school to go. Uh-huh. Um, so that was something that was a big consideration of mine in making that decision. Um, but you know, and what, what year was this? So your first year in the MLL. This was? would have been yeah, it would have been the end of summer fifteen. Okay. So going into the fifteen sixteen sort of Christmas time. Gotcha. I didn't get back to Australia that year until like I want to say October. Uh huh. I was operated on 10 days after I arrived um, and then sort of came back the following year in April, training camp the next weekend sort of thing. Uh-huh. And what was your, over, I mean, this is a more generalized question, but the MLL, um, you're not playing in it anymore, but obviously it was the main league at one point. So that was a bit, that was your biggest learning time. And I know that you've, you also developed a lot of like friendships there and uh, you coach at camps with guys who you met during that era. 
So, like, just overall, that was a good time for you? Yeah, and I think, you know, joining the Bayhawks, um, which was an older roster when I jumped on board, we had yeah. guys like... Spolino. You know, yep, Spolino, Mark Who's Evans, Carl Sweeney. Um, Hunt. Yep, and Hunt. I'm talking about on the defensive side of the ball here. Oh. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Guys like Nicky Carl, Blanco? guys like Carl, was he, was nah, nah they, I think they must have been like a year or two before me. Yeah, him and Spolina, I never, yeah, I never, I never played with him or Spolina. But guys like Carl, guys like Carl, guys like Carl Sweeney and stuff like that. Um, I remember my locker mates, my first year in the pros, it was like Carl Sweeney, Brendan Mundorf, and Drew Westervelt. Mm -hmm. Like not only so three of the most savvy vets. vets yeah. But also three of probably uh, my most respected lacrosse people that I have come to know. Uh -huh. um, three guys that I admire, but also respect greatly. Yep. And three just lacrosse absolute freaks. Freaks. I played with and Kyle nerds. And, I mean, uh, those guys, uh, they know the game like the back of their hand. And they were very, very forthcoming in sharing information with me. Uh -huh. Now, Mundy and Westy played on the offensive side of the ball. They're teaching me all the other things that was sort of goes along and is sometimes taken for granted in the program. Uh, what not to do, what to do when, yep. how to conduct yourself, how to, how to go through Monday to Friday, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, how to miss flights. That's what yeah. I was going to get to. Who, yeah. who, so for viewers, no, that's me, you're yeah. known to, <laughs> you lead the league in missed flights and you once uttered the phrase, when I said you miss so many flights, I'm a vet. And I was like, well, I was a second year vet at missing flights. The, lo yeah. the logic is, is it, are you more vet if you miss the flights or if you make them all? But you, there's as much of an argument to miss them because you got home somehow. <laughs> I make it home every weekend, <laughs> which is never on my uh, on my original itinerary. I think my final year in the MLL, I had we played 16 games, so uh, the only flights so I'm missing last, are the return this flights. Is last are the return year. flights. I'm always I'm going down to the city that well, we're playing in on time. Yeah, I mean it's the return flights. If and, we were at a home game in Atlanta. You were there with us on Sunday, Absolutely. having a little, a little fun day. Yeah, you know, work hard, and then I, I, I like to, you know, work on um, the team chemistry, as we yes. call it, Gibby. Yeah. yeah, which we did quite well with. Yes. Um, and it, a lot of it took place on those Sundays, where the guys booked their flights for... So for people who are wondering what it's like to play in the league, you come in on, on the Friday, you play your game. Saturday, you get, but a lot of guys have early flights, yep. and you have to make an effort to sometimes hang out with guys outside of the requirements, um, which you did quite well at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, naturally, I'm a socially per social person, but uh -huh. um, certainly if you're traveling around, I like to, you know, get into a city and, and get to know it a bit too. So uh -huh. I like to sort of you know, bunker down for a day or a night and, and sort yep. of go out and, ha and have some yeah. fun too. Which bodes well for, like, I, I'm just imagining you showing up at, at Stevenson and then the Bay Hall. Like, you're the type of person who people... They want to help you, you know. You you are a guy who has a chip on your shoulder, but you're also like you don't have a arrogant like you're confident, but people want to help you out because you're a good guy. So it's like that's a, a really valuable thing in a league where there's so many guys trying to play, right? It's like if you're, there's a guy just as good as you, but you're not that good of a guy, see ya. And that and that and it really does come down to that. I've learned that probably the hard way in, in the MLL to get started was mm -hmm. like you know the favoritism and stuff like that and yep. who you knew the politics of old ML lacrosse was a big part uh -huh. and I was sort of the on the outside looking in for the first couple of years mm -hmm. when I got my chance and you know started to make that, my inroads and uh -huh. meet the right people yeah. and you know prove yourself and absolutely that, that's kind of the 
the real full circle yeah. of your lacrosse career. But I think, to uh, that last year, man, in Atlanta, 16, <laughs> 16 return flights. The I missed, glimmer I missed, in your eyes coming back. I missed back. 11. <laughs> and Trust that's, me, I was, that's my best season so I far. I think I came in with the mildly logical case that you should book a flight Monday and just forego booking the original flight thereby the not amount of times you. I would just rock up to the airport and uh, <laughs> look really hazed and pretend I had a, maybe a, a mild concussion the night before from the game and say so, oh yeah that you would pull that it's a right? big one yeah you'd always have so you would miss the flights but then you would avoid the fees I was not very proactive in changing them ahead of time uh, yeah was, I know more like uh, back to my defensive. It was more a reactive-based skill. <laughs> Crap, I had my flight four hours ago. What on earth yeah, can I do to yeah. not pay for another one? Yeah, the, um, the time would be ticking by where it was like, okay, if Callum's not in an Uber by this time, he's going to miss his <laughs> flight, and you were never in the Uber. Never. It was always like, well, here he goes We used have a team bus go to the airport, no, and I was never no RSVPing way. for that, yeah. ever. And that's why we were a good squad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's like your career coming full circle is and now it's continuing now it's like like you said you, the first year you were struggling to play but then you were like a household name in the MLL and like like I said earlier you guard guys from big not as fast like powerful guys to like you guarded Paul up top when we played New York which is like you're you clearly by the 2018 season were like a pretty you were Hitting your stride, if you will. Yeah, and I think like that kind of stems um, from one of probably Australian cross, but two also battling for playing time. Uh-huh. I put my hand up to get on the field anywhere. Yeah, I was like, you want me to play LSM? You want me to play close? Yep. You want me to play short stick to me? I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, put a jersey on my back. Let me have a run. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think like being able to offer, and I try, and I preach this to all the kids that I coach these days. You know, the more tools you can have in your bag the more value you are to a coach. Uh-huh. If he can plug you in up top, down low, from the wing, depending on a matchup, whatever you want to do, yep. the better off you are to serve your team. Yeah, and sprinkle and in some, some of what you bring off the field, right? It's like you're a, a good locker room guy and you can provide, like, some people, if a huddle, if you want, some people are not inclined to speak up or give advice or have the perspective to where advice is warranted. Um, so you kind of built all of that. You had the off the field because you were a vocal guy in the Atlanta locker room too so yeah so that's a huge part you know what I mean like when you're weighing a guy who's going to be on the roster for me me the memories off the field and they play a big part it's like (laughs) okay who do I want to win with or lose right exactly yep both sides both sides um who's the this is a one-off question who's the toughest cover for you who do you think is like the best attackman in the in the world Uh, I mean you don't have to look too much farther past Jordan Wolfe. Uh-huh. You put on an island with Jordan Wolfe on any day of the week behind X, I mean, you know, you can, you can talk a big game and whatnot. He, he's uh-huh. a tough cover. Yeah, yeah I, don't so think, I, don't think Jordan, I don't think Jordan is the, the fastest guy, but he's the quickest guy, if that makes uh-huh. sense. He, gets like, he picks he, the he, ball up on end line, yeah. and he gets the goal line extended faster than anyone uh-huh. that I've played against or guarded. And he's also, you know, a little smaller. He does a really good job at lowering his body when he's turning that corner at GLE. Uh-huh. So you're trying to guard someone and get down low to him whilst also matching his feet in speed or quickness. Um, he's a tough cover. Uh-huh. Now I'm talking about putting on an island one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan Wolf, Jordan Wolf would be one of the toughest for me, I uh-huh. think. And I probably think there's a lot of defenders playing in the, 
you know, in the top ranks of the world that could empathise with my opinion, probably. Yeah, he, I mean, he's just lightning. He's always a liability. And it, I like his, stylistically, he, it doesn't always look pretty. He's willing to take the hit. Oftentimes he does take the hit. Uh, very, he's a um, tough, tough kid, he's man. He's definite... Uh, team guy as well which when I'm yeah shout out Jordan love I, I, lo- I love <laughs> me some Wolf I hate him for 48 minutes when we're playing him but uh, no he's a great guy off the field too and um, yeah yeah okay what about uh, defensively other guys in the league who I mean you're one of the top guys but like is there another guy that you're like yeah I could learn from this guy or like, yeah he's I think, got a skill set that yeah I think this year I've had an opportunity to play with someone that I've probably idolized for a long time which is my man Tucker Durkin. Mm-hmm. Um, one, we both probably play a very similar style. Yeah, um, he checks so, very hard. Very hard. Yeah, I don't very like hard. going near that. No, no, no. Yeah, no, like, man. and I, he, it didn't break, but damaged my thumb one time when he was on Florida. That, and I was the either the I was like the three attackman. So I was like Tucker, why are you near me? But <laughs> he, he got me so good that I was like, I, I gotta stay away. Like it worked so well. Um, but he's in the same way that you both check, and he always seems to get me here. Like, you know what I mean? There's a difference between where you hack, and he knows that the spots that'll hurt a young boy like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you're not a defenseman aiming for those spots, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, so, okay, so you gotta, yeah. yeah. That's a, to flesh that out. What is your, so when you're playing defense on someone, it's obviously most important feet and position. Yep. But the violence with the stick, and should I use the, I keep using the term violence, but that's what it is. It's a deterrent, right? Yeah, and you, you know, hack on the on the arm is nothing, but you want to get them. Where do you aim? The thumb, the wrist. I'm aiming for right above that wrist cuff on that glove. Uh-huh. So um, you, you for the exposed skin. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, you know, people are going to listen to this and they may interpret it one way or another. It's a matter of the game, right? It's like yeah, in football. You know, you want to hit someone where uh-huh. they're going to get the breath taken out of them. It's not dirty. It's a physical sport, no, and and I want to exploit else. the God-given talents that I have, which is you know a big part of athleticism and being big and strong and powerful. Uh-huh. Um, I want to exploit that, and I want to and I want to dominate my matchup using those skills. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's you know keeping my body between my guy and the cage, and then just really just teeing off. And it, that's a, for me a, an attractive part of the sport. It's like that's what, when you have the ball, you that's part of it. You get slashed. So if you're, I, I don't, I don't like. I le- like when refs let it go. Like, um, if you hit him in the head, you hit him in the knee, but it's part of the sport, and it's the attractive part of the sport. It's like, you want to play? You got to get beat with a long metal stick by guys like you. Otherwise, go play something else. Yep. So, like, that's why earlier I was saying I like that you're that type of player because when you watch a guy run around in circle and the defender is keeping with him but not committing any acts of deterrence, yes, if you will, deterrence. it can be frustrating because you got to make him pay, right? And you got to let him know that if he wants to have the ball when he's going against you, that it's going to be, it's going to hurt. Yeah, I mean, everyone gets theirs, right, on both ends of the field. Uh-huh. There's going to be times where Tackman is going to shoot and dodge and score mm-hmm. on me, right? Yeah. He gets his. And there's going to be times where I'm teeing off in his arms, I put uh-huh. the ball on the deck, and I'm getting mine. So yeah. when I'm getting mine, it does often involve inflicting some sort of deterrence, <laughs> a.k.a. violence. Yeah. Um, and that's usually how I go about getting mine. Yeah. Um, now, I love it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the, call me call me what you want. No, I but love it too. I, you, you've, you've known me for years now and shared a locker room with me and, and know me as a competitor and as a teammate. Um, you know, I'm a very nice guy off the field. I would like to think that I am. Mm-hmm. very social. I talk to anyone. Yep. For 48 minutes, I don't have a whole lot of friends. Now, I'm talking about 
48 minutes is in. Yep. Now we're doing four 12 minute quarters of the PLR. Yeah. 48 minutes, you know. Do you talk I don't, Are you talking shit? I'm not a big shit talker, to tell you the truth. But if it's given to me, I'm giving it right back. Yeah. So it's well, more, that's, I think that's a good policy. Yeah, I don't, I don't often initiate it, uh-huh. but I'm certainly back to that reactive thing. Yeah. It's like, you want to talk shit? Sure. Uh-huh. Let's go. I, I would sometimes go out of my way too, but a lot of times it would be like a goal, someone else scored a goal and then I chirped the goalie. Um, but it's but, like a scouting thing, right? Like some guys are more susceptible to that. Yes. If I'm playing someone who's uh-huh. more susceptible to talk, getting shit talked on him, yep. then I might whisper a few more chirps in his ear. Yeah. And right? there, there's a definite art to it and guys who are really good at getting under your skin in the same way, you know, like a Conor McGregor is in UFC. Certain guys are just good at doing that type of thing. But I also have a, a deep respect for people who just don't do it at all. Yep. If yep. they're, you know, the guy who's just a, a silent assassin and you can say what you want, but like it's not deterring him. And he's now, I've got a question his. for you. I'm on your podcast, but I want to ask you a question because mm-hmm. I want to get your opinion here. Who is the biggest shit talker that you've played with or played against uh, in your professional career? Brian Spolina is pretty good. I mean, yeah. he, he ran his mouth a lot and he said a lot of clever things. I mean, Kev, I'm actually thinking Kev about Un- Kev Unterstein talks a lot. Yep, um, yeah, Kev does. I've he's had. Gotten, he's a bit older and wiser now, but he, he's. I'm thinking about too. a teammate that we shared um, in the latter, in, in the recent years. Um, what position? He played defense. Is it Ratty? Yeah. Okay, well, he talks shit for sure. Yeah. But he's so, he's so nice that, like, he's too nice off the field. Well, that's you know it. I mean? And I think Rat, like, now, I, I've certainly taken a page out of his book in that respect, but he does it better than anyone as far as I'm concerned. Oh, he's... You know, kill, you, kill, you, kill you with kindness off the field, yeah. but he will break you down and destroy you on the field if you make and errors. And he's relentless, too. Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't not stop, stop doing it. Yeah, he, I mean, he's up there, too. You know yeah. what I mean? I guess for me, if I was on the other side of the... I've, I'm close enough with Scott now to where, like, it wouldn't get me, but with guys who don't know him... It must be it must. so annoying. It yeah. must. It must. And I doubt he would, like, is he shit-talking you? Oh, yeah. He was shit-talking, he was shit-talking me in, but you know you're in, gonna in see the scrimmage for PLO and training camp. You're going to see him <laughs> 30 minutes afterwards, and yeah. none of it means anything. Yeah, I've, you know, I've had the fortunate pleasure of being Scott's teammate for two years down in Atlanta. Uh-huh. I know exactly how. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's sort of pulling uh-huh. on that. But, um, he's up there. He's, you know? an, he's, he's an absolute beauty. Great guy off the field. But he will he will tear you down and strip you back on Which the field. Which I, you know... I love it. Yeah, and no, I, I, he's, I got. I, uh, he's up there with. The, I think you know he's arguably the best long stick midi in the game, and certainly one of them. Yeah, that's a prerequisite for talking that level of garbage, of trash. You know what I mean? You have to back it up. Yeah. So when you back it up as well as he does, it becomes something to be admired. See, when that's some. That's probably if you're bad and you talk. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's like, buddy, you can, you gotta earn this. And, and that's then, something that's like always, I've always been a bit skeptical with about shit talking and that's probably why I do it as more of a reactive thing. Uh-huh. If I'm the one initiating it, I make a bad play, yeah. god damn, do you, Ex- feel well, like, do you feel like just bear, digging a hole and exactly. just going to hide it'll in that si- thing? It'll silence you. It's a, yeah. it's a slippery, it's a thin line that you have to walk very, if you're going to be that very type tight of person. Yeah. So when you're down there and you're guarding a guy, you're not saying much. But mm. when he gets it, you're committing, yeah. you're getting him good. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. That, uh, not a not a whole lot of black and white rules for my shit talking. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like doing yep. it. Sometimes the situation yeah. will call for it. Sometimes, most of the time, it's reactive based. Uh-huh. But otherwise, I'd be pretty tight lipped for most of the game. I- I'm worried about you know doing what I got to do, execute what I have to do on my own field, winning my matchup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you don't want it to become. No. You don't really want to be known as a you talk. So it's like 
it's a quality that can, if you can get under a guy's skin, it's good. But at the same time, there's an ethical side to it that there's a line. I think like most things, right? Everything in small doses. Yep. Certainly, there is certainly space in the game for it, and it should never it should, that should never be a question. Uh-huh. But um, just as much as you're willing to to give, you also got to be willing to take. Yeah, for sure. So you know, if you're good at taking shit talk, then sure, uh-huh. run your mouth. But it's yeah. you know, like we said at the start of this podcast, to something totally unrelated. Uh-huh. Everything has a way of coming full circle. Yep, for and sure. And we should talk. Yeah. When you're making an error and you've been tearing people the, down for a game, they no f- are quickly jumping on you. Yeah, and rosters are so fluid yeah. that you might be on their team next game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was, yeah. That was a, when Brian Spolina came from uh, your team, Chesapeake, up to New York, you know, we hated him. <laughs> but, like, then we loved him once yeah. we met him. Yep. So it's like it, some guys can, can do it. Um, what was I going to ask? I had a question. Oh, uh. Oh, I was going to refer to Joe Fletcher about the hacking thing. He was like the top college defenseman, came onto the Lizards, but didn't hack. So that was like one of – they didn't have too much advice for him coming into the MLL, but like you have to – got to start hacking. Got to hit someone. Yeah, so, well, he started to do that more and more and incorporate it into his game. He's still a minimalist defenseman in terms – like he's very reactionary. Yeah. Um, but he – that was very one thing that helped him is that he added a little bit of hack to his game. Um how it just let's talk about the PLL a little bit because it's, yeah. I mean I've been following closely and it, the highlights all the video for like the presentation of it is so good and it's I like lacrosse so I'm watching it nonstop and it's it's I mentioned this to you last night but stepping back not playing anymore it allows kind of a perspective of just like enjoying watching it whereas when you're watching another MLL highlight I'm like see you next week type or yeah so a, it's a lot more critique pride. Yeah. yeah like i'm competing against these guys but now it's just sheer the skill levels like crazy and correct me if i'm wrong but right from the start training camp it was balls to the like yeah. it, there's a new it's a new gear yeah 100 percent. Right? i think you know like something that's never been in question with the plo is sort of the on-field product uh-huh. um and that's been since day one of training camp and we're about to go into week five down in Atlanta now, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be exactly the same this weekend. There's guys who have come in in the best shape of their life. There's guys who have come in with two new skills in their bag, two new tools in their bag. There's guys who are look like they've never looked on the field before. There's guys who are moving, talking, like they've never moved and talked before in their life. I think everyone, with everything that PLO offered, from finances through to benefits, through to equity, Everyone sort of understood what this opportunity meant and they mm. didn't want to let it go to the wayside. And that event, you know, exactly what we just said before, right? The more you invest, the more it's going to come back. And mm-hmm. I think everyone knew that the saturation of talent that was coming into the PLL and only six teams, essentially 120 guys get to play every weekend. Mm-hmm. There's a saturation of good lacrosse players in the world. And we can it's call too, it, we can call it a world sport. For, I mean, you have the MLL as a, another avenue to take, but there are plenty of guys that are getting dropped off PLL rosters or sitting out on weeks who are that could play the, yeah. anywhere. Yep. Really could. And, and it is that cutthroat. And I think guys sort of knew that coming into it. And the lacrosse that you're seeing on the field is a direct consequence of guys taking this so seriously, um, understanding the opportunity they have now mm-hmm. with this new league and the era of lacrosse and what we're about to, we're just chipping on the edge of the iceberg right now. Uh-huh. When this thing starts picking up momentum even more, and keeps ticking boxes. I mean, you know, we're gonna 
we're going to do and, and what i love when i talk about the pll is that you know i use the word we us mm-hmm. a lot right this is this is a league that every single player who's playing is invested in uh-huh. this is a league that we want to do well because we're all partial owners this is something that we have pride in because we're helping build the foundation for this league year one yep right so i think what we're going to do with the sport of lacrosse is what the ufc did with MMA. Uh-huh. Now, that took them about 15 years, right? I think we're going to do this in like five, seven years. I, I mean, think the, the sport the, will be transgressing and, and on the level that it's competing with other major league sports for viewership, for attendance, uh-huh. for tickets, for merchandise. Yep. And that's going to happen extremely rapidly. Extremely rapidly. And it makes, like, being inside the circle and, and being a part of the sport at the level I am and, and a lot of these other players also, mm-hmm you can see this happening in front of your face. And that's why guys are continuing to work. And that's why the level and the quality of lacrosse is continuing to get better on a weekly basis, not even a yearly basis yet. On every single given weekend, guys know where this thing's going. They know Uh what momentum this ship's picking up. And they want to be a part of this for as long as they can. They want to keep playing in this league for as long as they can. And you've also got, you know, something completely aside from the rest of that. You've got an opportunity to pave the way for for generations of lacrosse players with this league. And it's an attractive thing to play, like, for me, and you're probably the same, but, like, when the MLL opportunity came up, it was like, all right, we'll see. Uh, it, but it wasn't like, yes, they came calling. But with the exposure that the PLL is getting and it's picking up steam and just the how ubiquitous the highlight, like, they're so high quality and they're everywhere, right? It's like whether you're on Instagram, YouTube, which I told you I spend a lot of yep. time on YouTube, so I watch, the, obviously, the highlights of every PLL game. And they're just so good. It's like when kids are watching this, the professionalism of it, the skill level, the effort, all of it is something that has an appeal to it that there wasn't there for me coming out of college. Um, so it's definitely like, it's t- obviously I played, so I, I can watch five minutes and tell you what? how this compares to what my experience was. And it definitely has a, a different gear to it. Yeah, and I think like, the, the quality of what you were just talking about, say the highlights, it, is in a so nutshell good. the quality of what the league's doing from top to bottom. Uh-huh. I mean, operations-wise, so, yeah, so travel-wise, how we uh-huh. get looked after, uh-huh. how we get represented, how they're building each player's brands, yep. and the level of professionalism that they do, that they show on a week-to-week basis, yep. a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Like right now, I'm on the phone talking with Tar Stanha, head of media for the PLL, right? Just going back, texting, discussing ideas, I'm uh-huh. talking with... You know, Mike Rabel about my visa and things like this. Not only are these people the best at what they do, they're very uh, personable. They yeah. make you feel like you belong. And we're all in this together. And yeah. I think that's why so many guys are bought in. Uh-huh. No one it's feels like estranged. A, it, we're yeah, all part. We're exactly. all under the same umbrella. It's like a startup. Absolutely. And it is a, a startup. Yeah, it is very exactly. much a startup. It is. And very much a, a startup. Well, I mean, the way that the, the funding was done. But it's, it's a, startup a startup mentality. I think that's yeah. the most important thing. Well, especially with the equity, it's it, it's like a, a large startup. You know, Absolutely. When you do a startup, it's Absolutely. two people. It's not as many players as you guys are. And it's a confluence of, like, if you take a, the MLL is obviously the other league. If you just bump up, it takes, a, like you said, every level, the professionalism, the presentation, the, the game footage, and the pay. So it's not just, so if you guys came into this and it was like, you're going to get 40K, it's not just that. It's the entire, it's the confluence of all those different things that you just mentioned that like are kicking this thing into gear. And that's tied in too. So like when you watch the highlights, the effort is 
is there. You know what I mean? It's t- if it's a two-second clip of a guy scoring a goal. Like, you can tell that there's a level of fire going on in the games that is new. Um, so it's been, like, pretty sweet to watch. And I can't comment on this new format. What do you think of it? What? How is it affecting? I mean, my main thing was like all the boys in the league are going to get to hang out <laughs> in one city which is for me that's really appealing because you see your friend you know the league I mean you're friends with everyone yep um so that seemed cool but then I don't know enough about like how the PGA or these other traveling leagues manage logistics to know whether or not it's a viable yeah and I think it's still very team orientated um and the way they're structuring games between on a normal weekend Saturday and Sunday not all, all the teams have an opportunity to hang out together. And you ah, know, guys go. with work commitments will jump out earlier and later than others. And, gotcha. Um, but for the most part, being in the city with you know, everyone, you're at least going to cross paths, whether it be on the field, um, uh-huh. you know, in, in the training, post-game, um, in media, doing appearances, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you still have a lot to do with other players, which is really nice. Um, I think one of the biggest things this sport's done uh, the PLO's done is their rule changes uh, which probably got overshadowed like in the so, lead up to this whole thing uh-huh. with, with all this talk about new lacrosse league and who's playing and yep. where they're going to be doing this and blah 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 one of the things that was you know, really oversighted was the subtle rule changes that they introduced uh-huh. so that's the which shortening of the field shortening of the field is probably my number one favorite it, 10 yards that, shorter is that between the lines to the countless uh, long pole two goals and like absolutely once you're over the once you make a play on the defensive end uh-huh. you are automatically in transition is the two line shorter too a yard shorter so okay. 15 yards now that's that's a lot that's a big change big, for goalies that's big and it definitely strategically changes things you know what I mean yep. like you're gonna want I could pull it from so shorter, shorter if shot it was clock. 12 yards I could be a two shooter yeah. <laughs> I still wouldn't but 15 is like you open it up to some guys who probably weren't two shooters yeah you know and people are pulling them without I mean that Trevor Baptiste yep. pulled one but that sounds bad he's such an overall talent I know but look through the last recent history of the MLL and tell me the last time a face-off guy shot a legit two-pointer. Yeah, I think that's that one's probably an intersection of the shorter two and the fact that he's the one of the most special face-off guys. And, I've, and I get the pleasure of you know being on Trev's team and, and watching him do what he does every week. Oh, he's on. Yeah, okay. Now I share a little field with Trev this year. That's no fluke. I, I can. I'll, I'll be the first to testify for that. I watch him pull them at training, and yeah, I watch him pull well, them on goalies. You know, he, he was can, wasn't he rookie of the year in the or he was uh, he broke some NLL record. Yep. He was a transition guy, but. He's a face-off guy who's Scores a thriving lot of on defense yep. and also capable of going up on yeah. offense. Like, yep. hats off to the, to the yeah, kids. yeah, hundred percent. And and he's revolutionising, I think, that position um, uh-huh. as much as anyone has in recent history uh-huh. in terms of you know taking it back from a specialised position to a yeah. to a genuine midfielder. Full, yeah, like a do-it-all type. Yeah. He, yeah. And he certainly can. And we try to incorporate him in our game plan to do that stuff too. Take advantage of his skills outside of at the X. Yep. So he can he handle can the ball really well. He can shoot it. And he's something. a big, you know, stocky kid. He sets great picks. Um, so. Yeah, and he's got. He played a year of like that's unheard of. Yep. He's played. Maybe if he went in and just took faceoffs, but he broke the ground ball record. Yeah, I think he, he was. Uh, I think a integral part on defense. He was a very much like a a core member of the the wing. So it's like. You got. To be a Fogo and do that, to be an American field player at any position and go in and shine in the NLL is a challenge enough. Yeah, hat off, yeah. You 
didn't you almost play in the NLL? I saw. Yeah, I was um, at Colorado Mammoth training camp last year. Oh, so you year. went? Yeah. Oh, okay. How did you like it? Um, loved it. Yeah. yeah I've, uh, I've, Speaking of violence. Yeah. So you know, naturally, um, I really, really love the indoor game. Uh-huh. Um, now things didn't work out with the with the um, hold off last year and the CBA agreements. Training camp went from four weekends to one. Mm-hmm. I had a weekend to prove myself slash also learn the NLL game because yeah. although I'd played a little bit of box prior, yeah. I never played it at that speed and that pace and, yeah. and, and surrounded by that amount of talent. And then, you know, 10 days later, my visa was up. So I either had to make a decision and the team had to make a decision whether they were going to, you know, dress me uh-huh. and, and give me a visa or I had to leave, essentially leave the country, you know, with that following week. Um, so I couldn't even hang around for an opportunity. Yeah, it was either it was, week one yeah. or it was done for the season. Yeah. So unfortunately, really things yeah. didn't really work out last uh-huh. year. But um, I certainly haven't ruled out the option of playing uh, uh, NLL in future yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, you would love it because you could just hit the guy at any time. Like that, I, when I went up and played box in Deliciously college, violent. Yeah, in Vancouver, it was a rude awakening because you just get laid out off ball. The ref is it's – not, it's not a thing. The ref is not concerned with that. But I'm very concerned. It's getting, into, it's getting into my head. And I still remember I did a split dodge to my right in my first game. And I shot an alley shot in box. I went left to right, and it went in. And I still remember having this false sense that I was going to be, oh, I could do something here. And I just couldn't find the goal for the whole summer. I, I don't know what my stats were, but I also had some kid. I had long hair, longer than you at the, at the time. So I'd get chirped. But then, like, a lot of it was genuine advice. Like, just cut it, buddy. Like, get a haircut. Like, save yourself the, you know what I mean? Like, you're making yourself a target. So it went from, like, chirps to just genuine advice for, like, people <laughs> trying to help me out in the box game. Um, but, yeah, you would really like it because physicality, your physicality would really come out. Would you fight? Can you fight? Are you, like, does that, is that attractive to you, the fact that you can drop the gloves with someone? Um, no, I'm never a fight-first type of guy. Mm-hmm. And... But um, certainly growing up where I've grown up and, um, you know, fighting is, is not a distant part of Australian culture at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very prominent. <laughs> now, I don't, it's not my first resort at all. You know, yeah. I said, you know, first thing, I'm a very social guy. I like talking yeah. with people. Yeah. I think things can be resolved. Now, there's room for fighting in sports because yeah. a lot of the decision making is very rash. Um, yeah. And, and, and well, a lot of it's done under a lot of heat and a lot of pressure. And that's uh-huh. how things work. Now, you know, you, you can get into the specifics of the sport and sometimes it's necessary. Now that stems from ice hockey too. You've got to protect your best players sometimes. For sure. And you're same, talking same about mentality. you know, you're talking about what can happen on a box field and what's permitted. You know, a lot of that stuff can be detrimental to your best player and it's all legal. Now For sure. that's taken into the players' hands then to make sure that they look get their guys looked after, uh-huh. make sure that people aren't crossing the line religiously, are crossing the line consistently. You got to make sure that you sort of, you know, stand your ground at some point. Yeah. Um, well, there's that's. I think it looks bad for me though, walking up to a lot of guys and you know trying to pick a fight. Nor yeah. do I not want to do that. No. But I'm not going to be the guy that also walks away and sort of let you has your way. So. Yeah, of course. And like the, when I was playing in Minnesota in the NLL, we had Andrew Suter, who's a really good fighter. He's the nicest guy. You know what I mean? So it's not like there's a mutual exclusivity to being a good person and being the guy who's going to drop some, drop yeah. the gloves. And he was like, he had, I still remember one of my early games, home game in Minnesota, he fought Jeff, Jeff Snyder, who was a, a nut. He, he was a good fighter himself. 
and that's when I realized like what I signed up for. I'm like, I didn't suit up that game, but just watching how the physicality and all of it, I was like, all right, well, here we go. I think my parents were at that one. I mean, my dad's a Canadian hockey player, so it was par for the course for him. But yeah, um, I think my mom was probably like, Matt, don't, <laughs> you'll die. Um, but yeah, I think you would do well in the NLL. I think you should keep that. I usually I usually get a message from my mom's because she's been watching uh, a lot of these PLL games and the highlights uh -huh. and making sure I don't fight every week. I well, think well, that's yeah, a constant reminder from my mom. It looks, Callum, you're going to look really bad. It's not good for the sport. Now people have their opinions, right? They certainly yep. do, and there's a lot of debate in the sport right now whether it's good I, or bad. I'd for like it. to have that chat. And you mentioned before that the PLL is going to do for lacrosse what UFC did for MMA. We're getting kind of a merge of the two sports. With I mean that. I mean that very, very figuratively speaking, not literally. No, I know, uh, but I'm just joking that there has been footage of some high quality. Yeah, well, punches. and I think like you know, going back to what we talked about, guys. It, ramping up the level of lacrosse, playing more competitive, competing for spots every weekend. Yeah, it's bringing that out. It's bringing this level of fire that we've never seen in the sport before. And uh -huh. I think that kind of stems over into what we're seeing with a little of the Dusty's calves and yep. and also the refs are letting the boys play. Yeah, like, I like It that. is the most physical and it's beautiful. Like uh -huh. it's, it's really, really good. The level of lacrosse is great, but they're letting the guys play. They're letting the boys on both ends of the field showcase their skills, yep. which in our sport involves a lot of physicality. Yeah. So. That often stems over into a little, hey, you know, you may have you may have been treading the line, you may have put a foot over or a toe over the line. Yep. I'm gonna make sure that you know that, hey, don't do that again. We got issues, or hey, I'm drawing the line right here in the sand. Make sure that you know that you know that, that that's where wrong is, and this yes. is where right is. I was um, I had chatted previously with Jake, and also I was texting Paul about the. That's what I think. If the the physicality can be funneled into humbling players and making the game more pure and like no less showboating you want to cheap shot our best player then that's that's where the sweet spot is um, but I, I personally like the ramping up the uh, less flags more physical and it, it I think people underestimate how rough of a sport it is right it has like the stigma about it that it's like not as rough as other sports you're getting beat with the metal pole it's just a violent sport which I, I never understood this that it carried this stigma that of like softness from like football fans or people who clearly are ignorant about the reality of what it's like to get out there and have to play lacrosse but like it's bringing that out and bring it out on television and in high quality how do you watch a slow motion slash to the wrist and say that this is like soft people are, you know what I mean like and it, I think that's something the people is doing great you know, if you haven't watched highlights over the first four weeks jump on their Instagram and have a look like the quality of the highlights are exceptional uh -huh. and now you can sort of start to see you know what this game is all about uh -huh. on a very finite scale you know to the point where I'm watching that stick sink into that player's wrist uh -huh. I'm watching someone getting their helmet blown off running through the crease yeah you know these sort of things weren't distant from the game before now they've been sort of ramped just, up and gassed up a little yeah. bit, but now we're sort of starting to see it. Yeah, I can pull up that. I can see it in 4K yeah. definition, and I'm getting an appreciation. Saturday night, you can pull up your hack reel and get all fired up, glimmer in the eye. Yeah, like yeah. that's like what you live for. Absolutely, and I want to see it too. You know, and, that's and I want it, right? it to be that stuff sells. And I think yeah. it, it works well. It works well for the sport. players. It works well for the league. Yeah, and it works well for growing this sport. Yeah. Because who doesn't love watching highlights of people getting the crap beaten out of them? People getting busted to the floor. 
people yeah, making been some good hits. huge physical hit, um, plays. Now, it doesn't uh-huh. necessarily be a hit. Go watch offensive guys run down the field, bowl over defensemen, and run uh-huh. right to the cage and score. That is as good as, to me, as someone getting blown up on the crease. It is. Um, it's just a, it is a physical sport. Exactly. And I think now the greater population is understanding and having an appreciation yep. for the physicalities of lacrosse. And the best guys in the world, uh-huh. who are traditionally offensive players, let's say, they're the guys that are put on these pedestals. Yep. They're not the ones beating the crap out of each other, but they're as physical as anyone else. Yeah. Because they're taking those licks day in, day out, and they're used to it, they get accustomed to it, and they know it's well and truly ingrained in the sport. And yeah. now I think the greater population and just yeah. the everyday fan is appreciating what yes. guys on both ends of the field either inflict or deal with. It takes a high level of production quality to bring that out. I, I And I have nothing against the MLL. It's just a, a fact that the coverage of the games, you can't see what's happening as well. And I actually... We got, a, we got an expression in Australia. It's like comparing chalk to cheese. And that's what I believe the MLL and PLL is like at the moment. It's almost two different sports. You may as well draw a line in the sand and put them on opposite ends of the globe. I myself am playing yes. a more political approach <laughs> because I've played in the, in the MLL. I have nothing against the I MLL. I play in the MLL. I'm just being honest. I have one example. One time in maybe 2016 or 17, Mike Manley, who for anyone who doesn't know, large defenseman, yes. played in Rochester and then Dallas. I was on the ride. Team Canada. And he ran me over like it was one of those hits where like I, I kind of froze up and he just I was expecting him to do a move and he correctly assumed that he didn't have to <laughs> and he just steamrolled me it was one of those things where like when I ran off to sub people were like you good and I tried to find the footage but no like in the PLL this would have been viral I'm thankful that the coverage was scarce because it was embarrassing but I also wanted to dig it up for my own humor just to kind of laugh at myself yeah, absolutely. but I couldn't find it so I was like, all right, it's, it's gone in the darkness of, uh, like, game time footage or yeah. whatever. And who knows how many people in, when was this, 2016? I don't want to get too specific because I don't want to... Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> back through the archives and write this down as we talk. It was in Rochester, though. Um, I'd love to see it. We won an overtime. Yeah, thing. but like, uh, the thing is that you would love that. And there's probably thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that have never even knew what the sport was. And if they saw a 10-second clip of that, uh-huh. would have loved it. Yeah, exactly. Would have loved it, too. Yeah, but the fact that that wasn't getting out there and, and yeah. gracing people's eyes, just, I, this is an injustice. I know. And I'm, I like to tune in and see the highlights right after the game. Like, I haven't watched them live yet, but they go up like an hour after the game, the full highlights. And I'm, I watch them right away. And it's just like that concise version of what we're chatting is about is like it's a good product. I'm pumped that like – we're seeing but it's well quality. overdue like and i think that's why you get to see including myself and these players a lot of frustration is that like where has this been you yeah. know you've got the uh-huh. fastest growing sport in america right now at a mm-hmm. youth level nothing's growing um exponentially faster than lacrosse right now across yep. the across the u.s uh-huh. um you've got the f- programs at the collegiate level women's and men's that are just multiplying mm-hmm. across the divisions yeah um why is there no overlap into seeing the professional game grow? Yeah. In fact, it was on the recline, uh, the old MLL, in terms of viewership, ticket sales, salary, yep. what we were, in, were entitled to was on the recline. I mean, these yeah. guys getting paid more to play lacrosse in year one of the MLL than year 19, that's an issue. Yeah, um, and there, there's also... And there's no reason for it, right? It's, we, it's a great on-field product. We prepare like professionals. We take pride in what we do. Mm-hmm. And... You know, and I might be—I'm talking for myself, sure—but I think this opinion is shared by a lot of other guys too. And I know it, talking to these guys, and 
living and breathing with these guys for the last seven years. Yep. Um, there's a level of frustration when that, that sort of professionalism isn't being reciprocated from the organization to the entities. And the organization being the league and the yeah. entities being the players. You know, we're expected to be professionals and do mm-hmm. give a great on-field product, but there was nothing being shown back to us in the way of, hey, mm-hmm. let's grow your brand as well. Let's, let's uh, give you some reward for the, for the tireless hours and the effort that you guys are putting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, you and I, we live that. Um, and I'm, hey, people know, people, if people know me, you know, I, I call it how I see it. You know, the words that come out of my mouth is exactly how I'm feeling. Um, I don't like to. Yeah, well, that's, that, that's what I don't find it too controversial to say that the digital product that I'm seeing on YouTube, et cetera, is better because it just, it's an objective fact, right? I have nothing against CMLL. I just, I would love to watch Tommy Palasek's Blaze. I think it would be I'm trying to check in the, on the Blaze and If there was I five seen, professional lacrosse leagues, I'm all about it. Yeah. More lacrosse, the better. Yep. Absolutely. I got, no say, problem, yeah. I got no problem with that at all. Uh-huh. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on the MLL, tell them to disappear or anything like that. Not at all. I'm just saying that for guys that the bar has now, been raised the bar has been raised right yeah and that and that's good too uh-huh. that's yeah, absolutely good exactly. too and let's be honest six teams is not enough there's when you have joey sankey didn't play last week like joey sankey's so good that like, yeah, i think joey had a yeah regardless i'm just i'm giving there's a lot of guys matt example. you're right yeah, there's a lot of guys I mean. matt who could play yep. on any roster at any given time uh-huh. and uh, i see him fine right or not seeing playing time that they probably should uh-huh. um that goes to a testament of, of the saturation of talent, exactly. but it also shows that, hey, we're going to quickly expand this thing. Yep, okay, that's, that, thing. I, I wasn't sure if you were privy to any information about that, but that seems like a logical step given how much talent there is and how you know yeah. guys are clawing to get yep. a roster because of the scarcity of yep. spots and not so much so because they're not talented enough to yep. do exactly the same stuff as these other guys yep yep and i think you know it, looking at like the weekend schedules as they run right now w- with a traditional saturday and sunday two games on a saturday one on a sunday i think there's easy room for two games on a saturday and two on a sunday yep facilitating eight teams yep so Here's you know i don't I, i'm certainly not alluding to anything i don't know anything that no one else doesn't know but okay you know, i can't um, tell if you're like nah. i'm definitely yeah. no information no 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 um, no here's I, a I question would, once yeah. So I've had this chat with a few different people about, you know, more, more money coming into lacrosse and it becoming more like a bigger professional sport, attracting higher caliber athletes. Take any athlete, NBA, NFL, PLL, um, you name it. What, you know, we're going to start to see what the best version of a specific position looks like. So what does a tight end in the NFL look like? There's a, a general body type and skill set that Rob you could Gronkowski-ish. say. Yeah, and or, or a wide receiver, right? You have probably 90% or 85% really long athletic guys, and then you have like the Wes Welker types. But what kind of athletes are we going to see? Like, are defensemen going to be like NFL DNs? Are there going to be... Do you think it's just going to be generally people are going to get bigger? Yeah, I think there's probably like two arguments to that, right? I think the athleticism in lacrosse is increasing across the board professional yep. high school uh-huh. college everywhere yeah i think there's more athletes regressing into the sport and that's awesome um i also think that lacrosse is one of those unique sports whereby there's a room and space for the game for people of all different types builds athleticisms yep. and you can see that now in the top league and the best guys in the world um now saying that it's kind of traditionally like hockey, right? defenders I mean, 
are going to be a bit more bigger, a bit more physical. It suits your position, right? Uh-huh. But you still get the anomalies of small, quick guys who've played really well and fit right in. Yep. Vice versa, the attack guys, you know, they're a little bit more finesse based. Um, can certainly take a lick, that's for sure, right? But very rarely do you see, you know, a six foot four attackman. I think that's going to change. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's going to change. You're going to be a bunch of Will Yatemans running around. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out, Will. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. I went on my official visit to uh, Notre Dame, and he was my host, Will Yateman. For people who don't know, he's a California, grew up in California, lacrosse player. Went to Notre Dame, played attack. Maryland. Or so. Oh no, started at Notre Dame though, and then transferred to yeah. Maryland. So going um, back to Adams here, he, used, he was actually a roommate of Adams. That's how I got to he's know He's absolutely Will. huge. And then he also Enormous. Played, played football played, for Miami. Played in the NFL. Yeah. Yep, yep. Played, so, uh, yeah, played so that's a good example. Like, you're going to see that those type of athletes coming in. And like you said, lacrosse. Well, we had down at training camp this year. A guy called Tim Samish was uh, on, on the Atlas team down at training camp in Tampa. He's played uh-huh. four years in the NFL. Three different teams. Well, look at Chris Hogan. That kid played at Penn State. And I think he was a solid player, right? Yeah. Like, uh, but he he didn't like light it up at Penn State, and now he's like a phenomenal NFL receiver. He went and played one. Chris Hogan played one year of football oh, as yeah. a fifth year. At I want to say place. Dartmouth Monmouth, or Monmouth. Yeah. Monmouth. Um, but point being, he's an NFL caliber athlete. He's one at, of the, at a high level, mm-hmm. and he didn't do that well in lacrosse. I mean, he it, I'm sure he did fine, but he wasn't like killing it at lacrosse. So it's like that's a good example of like lacrosse is a specific skill skill set that raw athleticism sometimes doesn't get you there, right? It's like, why hockey, there's no shortage of money. Why is Patrick Kane, who's five foot 10, 170, arguably the most talented player in the league? It's because it's this unique sport that the stick. And it is, and you hit, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It, it, it has something to do with that stick, yeah. that amalgamation of athleticism, but also hand-eye coordination, mm-hmm. fluidity, style yeah i think all those factors yeah. and if you can sort of draw on uh-huh. you know, each of them and perhaps you know a couple more skills in one of those areas and another yep. you can be a very well-rounded player and i think lacrosse is a sport where you need to be a well-rounded athlete yeah. so you can't just be big and strong yeah you got to be quick you got to be good off the ground you got to be great with a stick you got to be good moving your feet blah 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 you, know, you can't just be yeah. a shooter and it, you it gotta is, be able to dodge. It is a stylistic sport in a way very stylistic. Like, like there's only so many ways you can run and carry a football and get to the end zone right That's it, it's like right? you can juke cool or yeah. like basketball too nice crossover but like you're gonna dunk it in the hoop it's not gonna be that much different lacrosse and hockey both have your personality if you will is brought out like in a way more pronounced way than you see very much so. other sports which i always like and to a fault favor players who have what you know a style that i like right so someone could be more prolific points wise like objectively more effective on the field but i'm like yeah i think he's better yeah <laughs> you but- know what i mean like for me like a guy like lyle thompson was always a favorite to watch because he you know there was no stick it was just like he was it's an extension of him yeah and like for that reason that's like one of the beauties of lacrosse is like and like we talked about is a reason that maybe or probably there always will be room for the smaller guy and for the more nuanced athlete. Like uh, I, I think absolutely there always will be, always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of my favorite things about the sport of lacrosse is that regardless of height, shape, weight, background, athleticism, you know, if if you truly invest yourself into it and, and dive in and, and commit yourself to the sport, 
you will find a niche in yeah. the player's market. Yep. Somewhere that you possess some skills that perhaps other people don't. Uh-huh. Find a way they can work to a position on the field and go about just exploiting that. Yep. You're going to have it. You're going to have a space on the team for you somewhere. Yeah. Stick uh, skills will take you very, very far. Very far. Right? There's very far. A, no shortage of, of examples of guys who you'd look at and like, oh, he's, you know, doesn't look like a professional athlete, yeah. but he has something about his stick that, like, a guy, like Cloutier. He's like a, a bulkier guy. You, he doesn't, you don't look at him like, oh, he's a freak athlete. But he's a freak lacrosse player. Like, he's so fun to watch. But he's not, you know, blowing by anybody. Yeah. But he's just got you, a You're not going to break set. your neck following him on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, he's one of my favorites to watch. Absolutely. Shout out Kluch, man. He's another teammate yeah, of mine. I love An that. absolute ball. I see that guy do some things with his stick and the ball uh-huh. that I've just never seen before. Yeah, um, he, Paul chucked one inside to him, and um, uh, with anyone else, it's like that's a force. But to him, it's a goal. And he catches so. everything, finishes almost everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a beauty, and that's it, right? Like you, you, you don't have a, a guy in the NFL that can just start ten yards downfield and, and just stay there, and you can throw the ball, right? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That yeah. doesn't. Th- there's no room for that. Yeah. You need to be running a sub yeah. four five, and yep. you need to get to that yeah. space and. Um, but what, they're two different sports, so uh-huh. what, I think I think the market for lacrosse in that aspect, yep. where you're trying to appeal to a younger audience now and grow this league, yep. you can literally touch on every type of person, every ethnicity, yep. every background, yep. and you can market the game to them accordingly. Well, it's, there's been a, a good move just with like the racial diversity of the sport yep. and more more guys play, like players are looking different. Like there's just more racial diversity in the sport, which obviously is great and is going to bode well for, like we talked about earlier, it has a stigma that it's like a Northeast prep school sport. And it's weird because it, it was that, and but it it's very much, like you said, anyone can play this sport and be successful with it. And it's not, it's in a way more violent than some of these other sports. It's just a weird, nuanced stigma that the, sport picked up that at this point is eroding not as quickly as we'd like but i think that's going to go far too right it's like most importantly though it is eroding like yeah. that that uh, that stigma that old school stigma all across which i was completely oblivious to because you could have said northeast prep school to me uh-huh. before i come over from australia and that would mean absolutely nothing uh-huh. i wouldn't have no idea what you talk about yeah being involved in the sport i've got to learn about that stigma and what that sort of um, implies uh-huh. and it could not be farther from the truth yep. and now it's they're even pushing that gap even further now yeah um, so it's yeah that that's I mean that's you know haters will be haters people are going to use that to cut down the sport all the time yeah but. there seems to be that heavily on uh, I mean I know Instagram is an app where people are trigger happy and like to shit on everything a lot of um, keyboard warriors yeah, yeah lacrosse seems to get a bad rap like Without, there's no logic behind it. It's no, like, but a lot know, of a lot of stuff that goes on on social media doesn't have a lot of logic. I understand, but I look well, at it the other way around. I, I'm I'm a bit of an optimist when it comes to that. I'm like, I don't care who you are, whether you're shitting on the sport, whether you're talking it up. Uh-huh. If you're talking about lacrosse in a social atmosphere, good. Sure, I mean that's good. definitely a more optimistic good yeah. sense than I have. But I, you can when you look objectively, say you were to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down, whether a comment is for or against lacrosse. Sometimes oh, it's, yeah, more, no, most, it's yeah. more against. Yeah, if, if especially it's from the larger I, community. I think that the changing of what players, you know, the, the racial background of players, where they're from, 
international players is going to help erode that quickly, especially as the product gets better and better. Oh, yeah. Being an international guy, here's a question. So you play for the Australian national team, have since you were a sophomore in college. The rules, they're starting to change the rules in that. So you're going to be somewhat, right? Oh, no. So in, at the next World Games, there's going to be new rules, right? They're trying to find a balance now, and they're, they're going to have a um, exhibition World Games next year, 2020, down in Alabama. Really? That they're trying to find a the closest genre of lacrosse that's going to be Olympic appropriate. Yeah. That's sort of the next... Yeah, I, I don't. So do I, I'm not. That? I'm not too savvy on those exact rules and what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, but I know. I think what they, what they're sort of getting started with right now is seven on seven. Yep. Um, much shorter fields, mm -hmm. shorter Smaller time, sh much shorter rosters. Yeah. To make to make it a bit so more one size fits all. Uh, I don't know yet. TBD. Well, you can if you want. Yes. Okay. Yes, I can. So now that's going to be more of an exhibition tournament than it will be like a medal tournament. Yep. Um, but it's got to start somewhere. Uh -huh. And I think the way this sport's pushing for the Olympics, and it should be, um, this is a big thing that needs to happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's. Uh, you're right. There's so, someone is looking at the sport and saying, "Here are rules that we can shed, or rules that we can add to make it more attractive to the to the wider market." And I saw that they were thinking about taking face-offs out cutting the size of the field, the number of players, and the roster, which I don't, I would, I don't like it. I don't like it entirely. I think they should shape, like, how about go from 10 to, like, 8 or... Now, I think there's always going to be a differentiation between the two sports. Okay, there's going so to be an Olympic be, lacrosse. Okay, well, that's comforting. Yes. That's comforting. Yeah, yeah. I think that will always be the case. Okay. Always gotcha. be the case. Um, for you, just veering into, like, you playing for the Australian national team, Obviously, it's special for you because you're representing your country, but it's even more special for you. Are you the only one on that team that plays in the MLL? Yeah, I'm the only person outside of North America that plays pro lacrosse right now. What about Kai? Kai. Is a Japanese player. Uh, so I'm talking about PLL. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, so being that you're, you're coming and you're playing the U.S. team where all your buddies who you know are tough to stop, and like, what's it? What's that like? Compete, being over here a lot and playing amongst these guys, pro, but then like going back for your. Yeah, and, and I think I've like beauty is I played in fourteen, like you said, as a sophomore in your college. Uh -huh. Then I played last year in Atania um, after being in the pros now for like four years. Uh -huh. Last year was four years. Um, the first year, you know, I'm going against these guys that I've watched the first time in fourteen. I'm a sophomore in college. I hadn't had an opportunity to play against any of these guys professionally. Uh -huh. um, you know, it was very overwhelmed, to say the least, yep. going up against these guys that I'd idolized, yeah. that I'd seen dominating, pushing the sport forward yep. for years upon years. Um, now then, coming back in 18, you know, I had to play a bit more of, uh, you know, a, dif a diffusing effect for the rest of the team. Hey, yep. these guys, the guys they got yeah. two arms like you, two legs like you, they yep. breathe the same oxygen like me. Uh -huh. All right, like, let's go out there and pull the cross. And yep. I think that's one thing the Australian national team really struggles with. Uh, we don't play enough international lacrosse leading up to World Games. Uh -huh. And there's a sort of grooming period when we get there. And we're playing these Canadas and Americas on day one, day two, and all this. They're very hard for us to compete right off the bat. Mm -hmm. um, there's that sort of, you know, that, that learning curve. Hey, you know, these guys aren't that good. Why can't we be as good as these guys? And 
sure, they get a lot more and they play a lot more quality across. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, we're going to go out there, compete for 80 minutes and see what happens. Leave it all out on the field. Um, I think, you know, in, in my two exposures to the World Games, that first time playing some of those big nations, we can be a bit starstruck, mm-hmm. a bit shell-shocked. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're playing from behind against a Canada, an Iroquois, America. You're in a tough spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something, you know, I take personally upon myself to give that sort of level of feedback to the rest of the players in my squad. You know, let them know exactly what they're expected to see and how yeah. they should go about playing. Um, Any way I can do to help you know, Team Australia get better and more importantly win at World Games yep. um, I'm, I'm going to exercise so I think this past one in Tanya after playing against a lot of these guys the, the games against Canada and Iroquois were you know super competitive for me but at the same time very fun mm-hmm. um, and, and very fun probably after the fact because at the end of the day I'm, I get to play guys that are either teammates or competitors of mine yep. that you know I have a huge amount of respect for I get to share the field with and compete against them you guard? wearing my Australian team colours yep. you guarded Rob right guarded Rob in America up in the American Iroquois. game um, Iroquois was Randy oh okay yeah Mr. Stats and then Canada was like a little mix of like Jeff T and Curtis Dixon yeah so pretty much a nightmare for all three games yeah yeah, you know, but that's what, I love that. Like, yeah, you know, I, I mean, want you, I would throw me in the yeah, deep end. You signed up for this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, the reason I continue to push myself and prepare myself, and you know, I want to be the best at what I do. And in order to be the best, you got to play against the best. Yeah. And in order to be the best, you got to lose against the best too. I think that's something that doesn't get talked about too often. Uh-huh. Some of the best lessons I've learned, whether it be in lacrosse or life, are lessons hard learned. And yeah, that's certainly. sometimes more often than not making a wrong decision, putting a wrong foot forward learning from my mistake and making sure that it doesn't happen again for sure and uh, there's no I think, wisdom in a win no that's it and like lacrosse you know my my exposure against playing against the best guys in the world has been that uh-huh. has yeah. been hey, I saw you did yeah. I, I watched some highlights of you I mean you um, when you were guarding Lyle you did he was doing some of his typical tricks that get most guys and I saw you and then a lot of times it was a team collapse that led to the goal so I mean not to downplay the Australian team defense but like one on one you were holding up quite well and then a lot of times he would find a guy off ball or I don't know if you agree with that sentiment but you you did pretty well guarding him one on one and he's about as slippery as the game offers yeah yeah I think uh, Lyle's one of those guys um, you know you could be a top defender in the world and you know he's a top attacker in the world and uh-huh. sometimes those guys get theirs and sometimes guys like me get mine yep um, so you know, you can't. You gotta. You gotta have, have a very short-term memory in the yeah. position that I play against, especially against those guys. Yep. Yeah. Uh, if you think you're gonna hold Lyle to, to nothing, then you're. Yeah. Not then you're gonna have a long day. You're yep. gonna spend a lot of time thinking about things yeah. that you know, have gone past. Hit um, the reset. Are you still? Uh, do you just do lacrosse full time? Are you working? Yep. So lacrosse is full time for me okay. right now. Because so. you were doing. Um, you're working for a. Yeah, I was working for a drilling company. A drilling company. Yep, so a geothermal drilling company. We actually operate across the whole northeast of America. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, a company that's owned and operated by ex-collegiate lacrosse players. Oh, really? So now Carl Sweeney and his brother Brett Sweeney both work for those companies. Anyone that doesn't know uh, the Sweeney's, Carl uh, has been a monumental part of my career and and, and a guy that I continually talk to, a really admired um, peer of mine. Uh, Very successful business very successful lacrosse player um, and just a really nice guy too. Um, him and his brother work for that company. Um, it's owned and operated by a um, ex-Gettysburg Division Three lacrosse player, um, Adam Santry. 
and um, another guy in there, Andy Capel, who played at um, Maryland. So we had a really good group there, and that's sort of like another yeah. testament to the sport, right? Yeah, like, little falling with this company of, yeah. that's you know likes to keep everything in house, and for them, the recruiting aspect when trying to get people in to work for that company was if they're recruiting collegiate lacrosse players that played at a relatively high level, they almost knew what they were getting. Yeah. They knew what that person was about. They uh-huh. knew what they stood for. They knew their work ethic. Yeah. It was a sort of a no risk for them. And that's, you know, you like, oh, you know, they're keeping it, you know, between lacrosse players. And there's a lot of businesses now that work like that. And there's a lot of businesses who love collegiate athletes uh-huh. because they're very good at time management. They know how to balance priorities between classroom and athletics. They know how to work their ass yeah. off it just said for 12 months of a year. in general is it puts you in a position where here's the field. You're going to go out there and you're going to try to perform something and another human who's oftentimes bigger just as athletic is going to stop you so like that's you know classic athletes are good in business because that's what the world is like is you're going to have a goal and there's going to be someone in your way and people who played sports thrive in that environment and I think for me personally not having like a like the film world or you know say you you write something there's no tangible playing field right it's not like all right go out there and beat them it's like you're on your own and for me when i when i'm outside of lacrosse and in the arts for sure you it's you're on your own you're competing with yourself there's no all right here's the field unless you want to go and like work as an intern at nbc or whatever you can climb that ladder but as a like an independent artist if you will there's no playing field you have to create it yourself and there's no coaches and structure so like lacrosse provides what a company provides, right? It's like you're a team, go out on the field, do what we told you to do. Execute. Someone's going to try to stop you. Yep. Hopefully you succeed. And that's why, you know, when you're recruiting college athletes and you're an employer, that's what you're chasing. You're chasing because they've inherently seen half the challenges they're going to see in a different form in their college life. Yeah, and they're proven. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm now that I don't play, you – I mean, you have to find ways to challenge yourself and to, like, physically, like, I just want to go play, like, a game of lacrosse, but, like, I'm in L.A., and, like, I could, I guess, find, but, but, you know, having that and being able to do it against guys who are really good is, like, I definitely miss that a lot, and, like, watching the PLL games, it's like, damn, that looks fun. Yeah. You know? Um... What are you, like, moving forward, just, like, as we wrap up, what's your plan moving forward? Like, you're going to keep playing in the PLL. You're heavily invested, like, financially and emotionally in the yep. success of the league. So you're going you're gonna to obviously continue to do that for as long as you can. Yeah, lacrosse is always going to be a big staple in my life, um, most certainly. And, you know, whilst I'm willing and able, healthy and fit, I will be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly want to. I also feel very indebted to making sure the grow, game grows at home. So okay, I want to I incorporate, gonna, yeah, you know, I'm some way of, yeah, some way of making sure, you know, I want to keep bringing uh, players over collegiately, uh-huh. and let's get the next Aussie in the pros. Like, you know, I want to be, I want to be responsible for helping make that happen. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Adam was a huge part of my life, and you know, without him, a lot of these things that I've achieved and a lot of these memories and friendships and life that I've formed would not be possible. Yep. I want to, you know, give someone else that entitlement, give someone else that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, you know, big, like Adam and I always talk about it, paying it forward. Um, uh-huh. So that's a big part for me. Outside of that, 
you know, I don't necessarily, I don't want to coach uh, full time. Okay. So no, I don't want to coach. Don't now I coach. I coach. I do coach at the moment. I coach with PLL Academy. Uh -huh. I run some of my own coaching events. But you're saying you don't um, But it's not something I see myself doing long term. Uh -huh. I really enjoy coaching. I absolutely do. Um, I live with two collegiate lacrosse coaches. Uh -huh. Shout out Jen Adams and Dana Doby. Yep. Um, Both but, sick lacrosse players. Yeah, I'm the worst lacrosse player in that house. That's another. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll brush over that one very quickly. Um, but. You know, I, I don't, I don't see myself uh, getting involved in a collegiate program. I don't want to make that um, my life. For me, um, you know, I'm not a big planner. I don't necessarily say, hey, in, in this amount of time, I want to achieve this. I want to be here. I want to be doing that. Yeah. I sort of take, you know, things as they come, address opportunities as they come, see yep. what's going to be more Book that uh, next opportunistic, fortunate. Yeah. First one passes and. Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. So, you know, roll with the punches. No, but, but that's a good perspective. Like, and that is conducive to what you're doing right now. Yeah. And I think, we, I think we were just chatting about, you know, that sort of that startup mentality of this league uh -huh. and also of a locker room. Like, everyone's invested on this at equal amounts. Uh -huh. And no one's above another. We're all players. Um, something I've been looking at at the moment is, you know, some sort of startup um, a business opportunities um, that I've been exploring and, and just having a look and seeing what's there. I like the idea of that team atmosphere of a startup business. Mm -hmm. Everyone being in on a level playing ground. Everyone being as equally invested for the same reason, with the same goal in mind. Everyone getting equal cuts of the pie. Mm -hmm. um, I do like that mentality and sort of, if I go all in, if I go into something, I want to go all in. I can't do anything 80%. I can't do anything 75%. I can't yep. do anything 99%. If I'm committing to something, whether it be lacrosse, whether it be coaching, ketogenic whether it be diet. ketogenic diet, right? I'm all in. You're gonna see all my eggs in that basket, mm -hmm. and I want. I don't want to ever sit back and go, man. I wish, you know, I wish I'd probably given a little bit more of myself to this. Who knows what would have happened? That's never gonna be something or the words that ever I utter out of my mouth, and it's got me to where I am now. And I believe wholeheartedly that it's gonna get me to, you know, the next rung on the ladder, the next milestone that I achieve. Mm -hmm. um, I, I certainly don't do anything half-hearted and. Um, I, I certainly like the idea of you know a, a startup business in that respect as well, and throwing all your eggs in one basket, committing 150 percent, and just going all out, seeing what happens. Mm -hmm. and, and good things happen. You know, I think lacrosse is a big, big component of that. But it's a sport where I truly believe that if you look at everyone who's done really well, the more you give, the more it gives back. Um, so I believe that sort of stems into my sort of the way I attack life too. Mm. Right? If, if I'm if I'm ever regretting or I'm ever questioning how committed I am to something, then I probably don't love it, and I'm probably not going to give all myself to it. So let's turn that page and let's go find something that I do love and I do want to commit to and I do want to dive headfirst into. Yep. Well, I mean, it's it's a fact. It's worked out for you. Yeah. You, know, you started started playing at 11, went to the states to play, end up playing in the pro league move on to a new pro league this company that we're doing this podcast at pays you to play the sport professionally yeah now we're sitting here bullshitting yeah <laughs> sitting on the turf it's drinking having a chat um no I'm angle sure. i have no, no angle no angle i have Plug. no doubt that you're uh that you'll continue to do well in the league for all the reasons that we've just you know like you you put in the time you're a good guy to have on the team there's a reason why you're the first person I had on this podcast <laughs> and you know it's all it's all part of part of that big picture where they oh I at the end of each one I get a book for the guest I got you oh. this one it's blue mind 
uh, I forget the, who's he. I just read it, but I forget the author. Wallace Nichols. Wallace Nichols. You're right. Um, it's about the neuroscience of why we like water and how it increases our happiness. A persuasive case for water's healing power. Yeah, it's a good book, and uh, like we touched on earlier, you're a fan of the ocean, like me, and it'll it'll basically qualify and bring scientific grounding to why why we love it so much you know you're like ah oh, that makes sense awesome man i yeah. appreciate that yeah for sure appreciate that let's go do a, a couple chewies yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and All just right. before we go i think like yeah. you know we just brushed on on that last topic uh-huh. um you know for all the kids out there who are listening and i know how much the kids love you and your brand and everything you do um so i'm sure there's going to be a fair fair few tuning into this too but you know, outside of being athletic or, you know, people endure injuries plenty of the time, there's always things you can control. I think being a good person on the field and being a good person off the field opens up a lot of doors for you. So don't underestimate um, the power of just being a good human and what that can do for you. And, you know, hopefully you know, seven years uh, seven years ago, if someone told me I would have been sitting here filming and recording you know, Matt Gibson's first No Angle podcast and someone I knew of before I even come to America, you know, I would have probably laughed and spat in your face. Um, but it's the people that I meet, the opportunities and relationships that I build, and that really just boils down the common denominator is just, hey, I treat people the way I like to be treated and it's good from top to bottom. And um, I truly believe that, you know, if kids embody that sort of mentality, you can go very far in life and get a lot of doors opened up for you. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, secondly... I appreciate you having me on, man. I yeah, wish you all the sure. success with this podcast. You're a personality that I absolutely love, and I, I think he's so so unique in the sport of lacrosse. And I think this thing's going to grow, grow, and grow. And I'm, it was a pleasure to do the inaugural episode with you. I absolutely, really, really I'm glad you made it. that point at the end because, like you said, kids watching, it's more what you do is off the field is more important, obviously. And you're a great lacrosse player, but you're he, I had you come out here more so like. Your talent's cool, but I'd rather chat with you yeah. because of who you are off the field, right? So obviously work hard at lacrosse and work on all the things that you stress, right? Put your all into it, but who you are off the field is, yeah. at the end of the day, there's, that's the lacrosse field that's not there. Hey, that's, you know? what, that's what makes, that's, you know, you can sleep comfortable at night just knowing you're, you know, you woke up, try to do good things, go to bed, better person than you woke up in the morning, you're going to have a very... Uh, very happy life. Bingo. Yeah. Good note to end on. Yeah, peace. <laughs> <laughs>